nestled on the western edge of Port Phillip Bay, an hour and a half's drive from the deadly intrigues of Melbourne, lies Gateway City, the hub of the region. G-Town. The last four decades, an uneasy peace has existed between the Anarchs and Camarilla in G-Town. Their borders meeting on Bruce Street in the very centre of the city, the two sects divide the domain neatly in two. The native Anarchs, consolidated in the industrial north, have learned to tolerate Prince Aveline and her Camarilla invaders, and she in turn grants all Anarchs the right to hunt and conduct business in her waterfront domain. Anarch rabble-rousers and Camarilla traditionalists each afford their counterparts reluctant respect. Until now. Word from Melbourne has reached the kindred of G-Town. Prince Squizzy wages a war on three fronts against a newly reorganised Anarch faction, Sabat Infiltrators and the Onslaught of the Second Inquisition. As refugees from both sects flood into Gateway to escape the oncoming chaos, local tensions flare, and the truce that has maintained peace since 1983 will be pushed to its limits. Welcome to Lords of G-Town, a Vampire the Masquerade 5th edition actual play podcast presented by DM Fiat Podcast, with music by Kevin McLeod, White Bat Audio, Ivan Duch, and Jaxius Music. Now, the sun sets on the city and the blood stirs. Let's see what horrors the kindred face this night. Welcome back, everyone, to the Lords of G-Town. This is the beginning of a brand new story arc, Forgetting the Fear. And for the moment, it may seem like your unlives are continuing on and you're meandering through the nightly struggles of being a vampire. But beneath the surface, underneath the cold black waters of Cowie's Bay. Something sinister is stirring. Something sinister that has already begun to enact its alien desires upon the residents of G-Town, kindred and kind alike. And in this story, you just might get a glimpse of things to come. Before we begin, we're going to flash back to about nine months ago, mid-June 2020. We open with a view of weed-choked, overgrown old cemetery on the very edge of North Town right there on the edge of Hamlin Road. An untended 
sad fixture of the in heavily industrialised northern suburbs of G-Town. And as a black Toyota hatchback crunches to a stop on the cracked, almost cobblestone-like curb running along the front of the cemetery, Adrian Cutty sits in the back seat, staring down at its phone, putting the finishing touches on a message. Not through a normal messenger app, not through a... not through your WhatsApps or your TikToks, but through a very retro message board interface. For the last several months of its life, Adrian Cuddy has been devoting its time to a message board simply known as X. A place where the monster hunters, the true believers, and the conspiracy nuts gather. But unlike most of them, Adrian Cuddy is able to peel back the layer of mundane reality. It truly understands that there is something underneath it has attracted the attention of a user using the handle Mort. Adrian sends off the message. I'm here, lol. Hope you're waiting. And then... Okay, Cross would never use the word lol. <laughs> Okay, what would Cross said? Just everything the same except without the lol. Yeah. yeah, I'm I'm here. Hope you're waiting. Adrian marks its name in its signature as Cross. The handle it's been using on the X boards. And unbeknownst to it, the persona that it's going to adopt from tonight for the rest of eternity. Adrian, as you slide your finger across the phone screen, putting it to sleep, the Uber driver kills the engine, and then he hangs over the back of the front seat, eyeing you cautiously. He nods his head towards the cemetery, and... The fact that there are no signs of life within. Sure you're gonna meet someone here, mate? Doesn't look like there's anyone waiting for you. No, don't worry, it's, it's family. Sorry. Family? At a cemetery out in the suburbs at midnight. Some family you got, mate. 
What do I... The Uber driver sighs, and he takes your money. And then he... His gaze lingers on you for just a moment. And before he reaches over to pull up the knob and unlock your door, he says, Here, just be careful, alright, mate? I'll only be a block away, and if you need a lift out of here, you just call the number there on the app. I'll be right back for you. Quest just sort of doesn't openly respond to this and just sort of gets out of the car. Your boots crunch down on the utterly devastated sidewalk as you slam the door shut behind you. Uber driver takes one last look at you, his face screwed up in a mixture of curiosity and concern. Then he shrugs, turns the key, pulls the clutch, and the tyres begin to turn, carrying the car away. You wait until it reaches the end of the road and turns right into a cul-de-sac and you can no longer see it. And then you approach the wrought iron cemetery gate. Wrap your hands around the bars and force the gate open. It creaks. The old metal rattles as the portcullis admits you to the necropolis beyond. And you step into the unlit cemetery. All silent, save for your boots crunching on the dirt path that winds through the graveyard. The leaves dancing in the wind. And all cast in shadow. The headstones and monuments, nothing more than angular, featureless shapes all around you, seemingly drawing in closer and closer further into the cemetery you get. As you make your way to the agreed-upon meeting spot, would you like to explain to the group how you got to be in this situation? Why are you meeting someone from a sketchy paranormal message board at this time of night in the middle of a cemetery? Grass would tell you that it's doing that because... This person has a really good lead on an interesting case that it's been following online for the last couple of years. It's, uh, it spends a lot of its time, basically all of its free time, and even some of it's not free time, uh, obsessively researching and investigating paranormal cases from around, 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 the, from around the area and also online. Gets involved in lots of communities that are dedicated to, yeah, crypto stuff, not currency, <laughs> um, uh, the occult, all all those conspiracy boards, and generally it's pretty good at uh, discerning what is crazy conspiracy theorist nonsense and what might have some, uh, some weight to it. 
Anybody mm-hmm. else might tell you, however, that Cross is very obviously being groomed. Yeah. All Cross knows is that it found a kindred soul in Mort. And so here it is. The meeting spot that you were right that you agreed upon. A grand statue in the very centre of the cemetery. A gothic-style gargoyle, its bat-like wings and infernal face caked with creepers and moss. You call out, Cross. Hey, I'm here. And then, from somewhere behind you, you hear the sound of something moving, not quite stepping, more like dragging itself across the twigs and stones. You whirl around to face Mort. You instantly forget the greeting you had in mind. It slips out of your brain as your mouth drops wordlessly open. Standing in front of you, and you're pretty sure this is not just your eyes playing tricks on you, is something you could barely call human. It's impossible to even tell whether it's masculine or feminine. Bleached bones, a skeletal ribcage, rotten flesh still hanging off the tips, a sinister smiling face that's more skull than face at all. You're looking... Cross would rationalise this to just physical deformity and disability. And it knows how to handle that and not be rude, so I think it very quickly uh, steps on a face of, um, of of complacency with it. But it's definitely unsettled. The Grim Reaper smiles at you. <laughs> you took it better than I thought. I understand I'm not much to look at, but... Such is... The nature of death, it's nothing to be afraid of, it's merely the natural order and none of us are immune to its ravages. To death? What do you, what do you mean? I mean that some of us exist Afraid of death, biding our time, waiting for that inevitable day when death finds us and the cycle repeats and we move on to wherever it is that dead things go. But some of us have accepted our state, our role in this natural order and some of us, rather than living in fear of death, have simply become an extension of it. St- 
stewards of the natural cycle. Your messages, your messages on the board. It's clear that you understand what's happening on a level that, if I'm to be quite honest, no other mortals in these nights do. You understand mortals, for we all are mortals, are we not? Are we no, all not merely just counting down the time we have left until death deigns to take Yeah, no, 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 it's just that it sounded like you were talking about me as mortal and not you. Don't worry. Gull's grin widens. You see more than you realize, Cross. You've always been open to the idea of an afterlife. You've said as much on the boards. Searching for ghosts, chasing after them, and it is clear to me that you understand that not all of us need tremble in fear of death some of us some of us help the cycle turn some of us guide the cycle and are not guided by it don't you see that's why we've met tonight and oh oh the look on your face the the words expressed in your eyes you know it you feel it Ross. it's within your grasp the answers to everything you seek the chance to peer beyond this world into the next and i it raises a hand a skeletal bony hand with only a shred of skin left on the palm, stretched across the bone like hardened leather. You need only reach out and take it. Holds out its hand. Cross just sort of looks at his hand for a while. I understand your hesitation, child, says Mort. But we've spent these months talking, understanding each other, understanding each other more than most get to in a lifetime. And you know, I mean you no harm, you know I seek only to enlighten you, and as I promise, provide you with that which you so desperately seek. So, why am I here? You are here, Cross, says the thing, this grim reaper, this creature of death. Because tonight you embrace 
eternity and become one with death. And then, before you have a chance to do anything, before you can respond to the shiver of primal terror that instantly grips you, the urge to turn away, step away, run to call that Uber driver and get out of here. Its bony hand lashes out, grabs you by the wrist and pulls you towards it. Its face, if you could call it that, mere centimetres from your own and now you can see it for what it is. Now you can smell it. That stench of death, that aroma of decay. It opens its mouth, bearing its fangs. And it sinks them into your throat. And the most excruciating pain you've ever felt engulfs your body. Every molecule of your being on fire the worst pain anyone could ever experience. It's worse than the most terrible nightmare. It is death itself. You throw your head back and scream. And your screams are lost in the sensory overload, in the ever-present pain. And then nothing. Your eyes flutter open. You're not sure how long it's been. It's dark. Still dark. Either the same night or the next night after. And you're lying on the ground. Lying on the soft, damp grass of the cemetery, your back propped up against the freezing cold stone of a grave. You feel sick, your innards twisting, a hunger unlike anything you've ever felt before shrivels your insides. You open your mouth to call for Mort, to demand to know what it has done to you. And then... You see a silhouette in the darkness ahead of you. Something human, you think. Shuffling out of the shadows towards you, raising a hand. Hey! You're right there, mate. You need help? You look like you've had a bit of a tumble. How, um... Go ahead. How, how conscious would Cross be right now, like, as opposed to just frenzy? Still groggy. Your faculties are about you, but... Even as you feel the instinct to call out to this person, whoever they are... 
you're torn between asking them for help or yelling at them to turn and run while they still can and there's something more something inside you this bestial voice in your ears and it's calling upon you to stand to rise to your feet to set yourself upon this person and do what do what exactly satisfy the hunger You look like you've had a bit of a fall. Found you sprawled out there by the tombstone. You're all pale. You probably caught cold. Come on. You need to leave. No, no, no. You, you, you don't understand. You've had a fall or you've gotten sick or something. I'm going to get you to help. We're going to get you somewhere safe and Fuck warm. And... Excuse me. The man raises his arms as you step forward, spitting at him. Fuck off! Get out of here! He stops, silent, staring at you, shaking his head, unsure what to make of this sudden outburst. You open your mouth to warn him away again, and then... The hunger takes over. That thing, whatever Mort has put inside you, takes over. Its hands reach out and it grabs the reins of your body. And as you open your mouth to shout to this unfortunate, to tell this man to turn and run, all you can manage is a snarl. <laughs> As you fling yourself onto him, sink your teeth into his neck just as Mort did to you. And he throws back his head and lets out a terrifying scream. <laughs> you fight. You fight as hard as you can. You rouse yourself, shake every fibre of your being, trying to pull yourself away. And yet, it's to no avail. When you regain your senses, the corpse of the man, his tracksuit pants and tattered t-shirt absolutely drenched in blood lies at your feet his face frozen in an expression of utter agony and now you are a steward of death too comes Mort's voice you whirl around and you see it there, staring. The skeletal face, grinning. Grinning as if it is a father that has just watched its child take its first steps. You have embraced eternity. You are one with death. Steward of the natural son. Who the fuck are you? I am your guide, Cross. 
your guide to the world in which you now inhabit, where everything you ever dreamed of knowing rests at your fingertips. You Cross need not cross to strides forwards, clenches a fist, and as your fist collides with the skull, you hear a crack. <laughs> the skull steps back. And it bursts into laughter. <laughs> we fear death no more. And that is how Cross died. Let's move. I would like to have it on the record that Cross definitely punched a couple more times. Oh, I'm sure Cross <laughs> probably did. freaked the fuck out. And to each one of them, Mort just sat there and laughed. Laughed as if it was the greatest joke ever told. Present day, mid March 2021. It's been almost three months since the debacle with Barry and his power play gunning for the recently vacated position of Waterfront Warlord. Life, or unlife rather, has for the most part returned to normality. At least about as normal as it can be when you are creatures of the night. The Anarchs seem to have adapted to the new paradigm relatively easily, with Dinesh proving to be a far more effective warlord, far more capable of uniting the Anarchs behind him than either Victor Von Strudeldorf or Barry ever were. And the cam? Well, the cam as ever sit there. On their side of the border, in Elysium, gossiping, scheming, and waiting to see what will happen next. As we begin, I would like everybody to go ahead and make a rouse check to see if you get hungry as we begin the night's events. As this is a new story, you'll be starting at hunger one, unless you happened to gain any hunger during your downtime actions. In which case, you start with that. Cross gets hungrier. Tig gets hungrier. Tig's at three. But I have cattle specifically for this. You do have herd. So would you like to start the session by taking from your herd and going back down to one? Ah, I've only got one point of herd, so I'll only go down to two. To two. But two's fine for now. Actually, wait, I get double benefit from animals, don't I? Yeah, so you can indeed use that one dot of herd as they are animals to take you down to one hunger. But you've used up your herd for this story. That's fine. Uh, Val does not get hungrier, but she did when she roused the blood during our downtime, so she is currently yeah. at hunger too. 
hunger too. Well, that's not so bad. And Mitch Bouncer. Does not get ah, hint, Mitch does not get hungrier. Lovely. And Bouncer, how did you go? Uh, yeah, success, so Bouncer doesn't get hungrier either. Yeah. So you're all at hunger one and hunger two. Tig makes sure to pay a visit to the sheep, promising Elaine that he'll get the dags out of Ernest's for, out of Ernest's coat and sheer Priscilla before he heads out. And while he's there, he takes a sip, freely given by his flock. Settling down his beast. Yeah. But I guess a mutton taste ain't so bad now then. Settling down his beast before he heads out into the night. Does anyone want to hunt? Absolutely, yeah. Across upon waking up, Chex sits in its little mini fridge and realizes that it is fresh out of bags. Yeah. So, Cross, I'm going to need you to go ahead and make for me... Intelligence Streetwise. Intelligence Streetwise. One success. One success. Your contact is back in town, Cross. That's the good news, and... They're even willing to make a delivery to the abandoned warehouse that you call your haven. They even can be there within the next 20 minutes. They have the goods ready for you right now, they say over the phone. The bad news is the COVID pandemic is in full swing. It's getting increasingly hard for your contact to appropriate blood from the clinic that they work at. Putting away a single bag is getting increasingly risky when the doctors and the pathologists say that every drop counts. But you'll take anything you get. And sure enough, when you emerge from your haven, you find the blue esky sitting on the concrete slab in front of the door. You lean down and pop it open and find three blood bags on ice within, enough to slake three hunger. Lovely. How much would you like to slake right now? Um, I'll just go down to one. So, just yeah, one. use one. You grab one of the bags, hold it up, and your beast purrs in anticipation as you dig your claws into the plastic, tearing it and licking up the blood as it runs down your arms. That sweet vitae. And no eternal pain inflicted to get it. You stow the other two in your instrument kit. Just in case you need them later tonight. Hopefully a more... 
renewable and reliable source of blood will show up in the near future. You'd hate to be reduced to your base instincts, but this will do for now. You pull out your phone, open the Uber app, and summon transportation. You've all received a message tonight from Sam Stokes, the consul. And as you all meet each other, you're approaching your usual meeting spot, the observation deck on the cliffs above Eastern Beach. That little picnic spot under the half-collapsed gazebo that provides a view of the endless darkness that is the bay below, the inky blackness that seems to go on forever and ever, an abyss that stares into you as you stare into it. The air is cool and salty as you make your way up the winding path that leads to the cliffside picnic spot above the beach. The only sound is the gentle lapping of the waves below and the occasional rustle of leaves as you brush past. The moon is full and high in the sky, casting an eerie light over the scene. As you reach the top of the cliff, you find the weathered gazebo engulfed in pitch black shadow. As you approach, you see the slender form of Sam Stokes standing within the darkness. She silently waves a hand, and the shadows depart, scattering like scared animals, revealing her pale skin, jet black hair, and piercing blue eyes. Glad you could make it, she says, gesturing for you to make yourselves comfortable around the wooden picnic table. Got a job for you, she says, as you sit down. Her eyes first turn to Cross. And you, young Cross, you're officially part of my entourage now. I've made arrangements with Mort, you see. I understand that it's not normal business for the Hecata to hand their neonates over to me for the requisite training, but, well... Mort wants you to see the world, learn how to play the game, embrace the eternity, as they said. So we made an arrangement. You saved these guys' asses during the Barry Jr. thing. And I could use a Hecata on my team. Even a young one. I'm not one for talking to ghosts and you seem to have a knack for it so until Mort says otherwise I guess you're stuck with us she smiles it's the type of smile that type of the type of smile that says I'm enjoying the fact that you probably don't want to be here but I'm gonna force you to be here anyway Yep. I, I know. Everyone else? 
staying out of trouble for the last couple months, I hope. Haven't been draining any more Elvis impersonators. Uh, things have been relatively quiet. Oh, before I forget, Elaine sent along a gift for your birthday. And take hands over a small wrap package. The Lasombra reaches forward and takes it, staring at it with a look of intrigue on her face. Tig! I didn't think anyone would remember! Elaine, don't miss a beat. Hmm. Good thing you have her since, uh, well, you know what they say about Gangrel and their ability to play kindred politics. Don't be a berry. That's what I've been saying when I've asked around lately. Wouldn't have it any other way, says Sam. If you were just like Barry, well... <laughs> I'd be a right cotton now, wouldn't I? Exactly. <sighs> and I'd have turfed you out on your ass, and you'd probably be buried under that beach somewhere. She points towards the cliff. With a smile on her face, she unwraps the present, carefully undoing the ribbons and stripping the paper away. And Tig, what does she find within? It's rather battered, probably from around the turn of the last century. It's seen a lot of use, which was why it wasn't too much from the antique dealer. But it's a pocket watch, an analog one. She stares down at the brass pocket watch. Then she slides it into the folds of her coat. And she says, Tig! Genuinely surprised. You shouldn't have. It's... It's been a long time since I've had... Pocket watch. You... You know me so well. Her gaze glides over Mitt and Val and Bouncer and she says I suppose the three of you forgot it was my birthday don't have Tig's lovely wife on the ball to help you out well technically it ain't it was a month ago but I ain't seen you for a month so you know excuses? come on at least you have excuses to offer me. Don't tell me you completely forgot. And after all I've done for you. The little sombra shoots a faux look of anger. And then she claps her hands together. Well, you can do me a favour by helping me with this little situation instead. Mitchell, she points to Mitch. Know anything about the Malkavian Primogen? Uh, at some point I did. Haven't been around court much lately, have you? No. Hawthorne doesn't think I do very well in court. Hmm. I think Hawthorne needs to give you time to shine. Well. What we've been tasked with tonight 
relates to the Malkavian primogen. Gabriel, as I'm sure you know. Anyway, his child, an Ancilla by the name of Nadine Brandt, is looking for someone to help locate a missing ghoul. Now, ordinarily, Nadine would search for her ghoul herself, but here's the thing. Nadine is on probation. The prince and the primogen have got eyes on her, and she's under orders, strict orders, to be on her best behaviour or be kicked out of the cam. So she wants someone unaffiliated with the cam or the Anarchs to look into this for her. You all know what happened a few months ago with Mr. Dawkins, a child of the Ventru Primogen, defecting to the Anarchs and getting them involved with his little money-making scheme at Pentex, right? Val, you are... You did some digging during the whole Barry thing and found that he had the mare in his pocket, remember? So, needless to say, the other Primogen are keeping close eyes on their childer, trying to ensure that the occasional dalliances they have with Anarchs don't turn into outright betrayal. Nadine... What happened with Dawkins? M shrugs. She says, oh, he's still there. Still on the board of Pentex, still trying to push ahead with that little project he's been spinning, trying to get that oil platform up in Cowie's Bay. But, thanks to your actions, Jeanette's managed to pull the mare out of his pocket. And so he's having a bit of a harder time of it. The important thing is that none of the other Primogen want their childer to do what Dawkins did. Now, Nadine's sire is Gabriel, the Malkavian Primogen, and he's a staunch supporter of the Prince. He's a quietly powerful man known for his keen intellect. She clears her throat, folds her arms, and leans towards you over the wooden picnic table. In the five or so decades since her embrace, Nadine has shown little interest in politics. She mainly hangs out in an old, retro-themed movie rental shop. Somewhere down there in Chilwell. Doesn't show up at court, and for the most part, stays to her... keeps to her own devices. Now, the thing is that she's occasionally been seen in the company of Anarchs. It doesn't look like she's a dyed-in-the-wool Anarch herself, and I wouldn't go out on a limb and say she's close friends with any of them, but she's been seen in their proximity. And, added to the fact 
that she hangs out with Anarx in the last decade, Nadine's almost broken the masquerade several times, mostly by feeding uh, at late night showings of the Rocky Horror Picture Show and at the occasional rock concert in Anarch territory. Each time she's been brought up on it, she's managed to conceal or discredit any evidence of her crimes, but the court's patience has worn thin. So that's where you come in. Her ghoul's been missing for the last few weeks, and she's starting to worry. It's not like him to drop off the radar, she says. And, well, Val, Mitch, you're in the cam. You know a wayward ghoul is a masquerade breach waiting to happen. And with all the eyes on Nadine, she'd rather that her ghoul doesn't end up in the hands of someone who's going to use what he knows to expose her. So, I offered to step in. Said I'd put you to the task. She wants to make sure that her fledgling friends among the Anarchs haven't decided to kidnap her ghoul to force her into defecting to escape from the camp once they kick her out. And her sire, as a primogen, wants to make sure that Nadine isn't trying to pull a fast one on him here so that she can sneak out of the cam without facing repercussions. So, she reaches into the folds of her coat, pulls out a piece of paper and a key with a green plastic tag attached, slides them across the table towards you. Nadine has seen fit to uh, provide me with the address at which her ghoul usually resides, is a man by the name of Carl Cryer. And she says he's incredibly useful and he needs to be returned as soon as possible. The key should let you in. She also said that she'd like to check in with you at some point, but there's no rush. I will say, though, as I promised her prime... I promised her sire that we would leave no stone unturned. When you do check in with her, I'd like you to do some digging of your own and try to make sure that this situation is what she claims it to be, that she's not trying to pull some little anarch plot that's going to throw the cam into disarray. Remember... I'm the Consul, and you are my envoys, and our duty, above all else, is to keep things peaceful, or at least what accounts for peace in this city. Any questions? Uh, Val hurriedly keeps scratching at her um, notepad with her pen as fast as she can, kind of like etching all the way through the paper with the speed she goes, and raises a question. So, it seems like we've been clamping down a lot on masquerade breaches lately, but surely there's some more to it than this. Mistakes happen all the time. Is this entirely because of the primogen, or is there something special about Nadine? 
This she smiles, her eyes twinkle. You're thinking along similar lines as me. Look, we know ever since the Barry incident that everyone's been trying to clamp down on masquerade breaches, and we know that ever since Dawkins turned Anarch, the rest of the Primogen are trying to keep their child uh, firmly within the can. Nadine has a history of breaching the masquerade. That's why she's on. Pro that, that, that's why she's got cam eyes on her at the moment. But there's got to be more to it. You're right. Normally, a missing ghoul, well, if he turns up somewhere, starts spilling his master's secrets, that'd be a simple question. That'd be a simple solution. Simply dispose of the ghoul, right? But, well, both Nadine and Gabriel are quite insistent that this school is returned to them as soon as possible. And no, despite my best attempt to extract more info, they were not forthcoming. Perhaps when uh, you just chat up Nadine... You put your harpy sense to good work, eh? So just out of character, I assumed that Val would know which primogen she's referring to. Yeah, yeah. The the Malkavian primogen, Gabriel. Uh... He's, he's a very quiet man. Whenever you see him in court, he doesn't seem to be saying much. He's not a social butterfly. He mainly just stands there at the prince's side and silently watches and advises. But everyone knows he's incredibly intelligent and he's a very staunch supporter of the prince. And you, Val, would know that it would be very, very embarrassing to one such as him should his child turn out to be either conspiring with Anarchs or flagrantly breaching the masquerade. Uh, Bell's going to scratch down some more notes about that as well. To keep an eye on the ghoul because uh, whilst ghouls don't end up being exactly like uh, like their masters, they end up having a little bit of them. Mm, we're How hoping... Long? Go ahead, Exactly. Mitch. How long exactly has the ghoul been missing? Mm, according to Nadine, she last spoke to him just over two weeks ago. 16 days. Normally, all she has to do is pick up her phone and call him and he'll be right there at her side. But he's gone completely AWOL. She's been to his house, checked it out, said he wasn't there, but gave us the key so you could do your own investigations. Right now, she's confined to her little shop down in Chilwell. She can't leave the video rental store or her sire's goons will be right on her. So she can't really look herself. She's hoping that maybe he just wandered off somewhere and that nobody's poached him. Again, they keep saying he's incredibly important. It's quite an interesting relationship to have with your sires. Be afraid to leave your front door. Hmm, well... 
she's spent the last 50 years keeping to her own devices. It's only because she's on probation that her sire's watching her. Doesn't want her to follow Dawkins' example and defect. So he's basically pulled in all the favours he owes in the court and has got people sitting on her 24-7. Can't, can't defect to the Anarchs if you can't leave your haven, right? That's bad parenting is what that is. It's going to make it more appealing to her. Mm. Got a helicopter siren going on. Mm, Sam shrugs. I guess so, but sometimes a bit of control's needed, especially when your child's got a reputation of breaching the masquerade. And hangs with anarchs in her spare time. Let's say I don't really blame him. But it does complicate things. You've got to investigate and keep Nadine and her sire happy while also contending with whoever he's got watching her ass. Alright, well, that doesn't sound too bad. Yeah, that's a bit of a tender question considering everything we've just been through, but... Do we have some kind of time limit before... Barry Jr. Jr. decides to off somebody else or something. Hmm. <laughs> well, thanks to Cross here, as I've heard, Barry Jr. is now six feet under the bridge out over Cowie's Bay, and he's going to be there for the next hundred years, so... Oh, I was alluding to um, Final Death. By breaching masquerade, uh, like the oh, time I, we had last time. But I was wondering what the fuck you were talking about there. As I like, know, Barry's been staked. No, Barry's been staked. <laughs> Look, we don't know where Nadine's. Shot. We don't know where Nadine's ghoul is, and we don't know that he is a danger to the masquerade. But we want to be safe, so no time limit as such. But. You'll want to get on that ghoul's trail as quick as you can. Nadine herself, she's broken the masquerade several times in the past, but while she's confined to her haven, that's probably off the table. Right, so hurry, but nobody's life is on the line yet. Got it. No. Handle it as you're at your own discretion. You've got the address that the, to the ghoul's residence and a key to let you in there. And you'll find Nadine uh, here. She writes down another address on the piece of paper. Check in with her at some point. It's up to you in which order you want to do things. Just uh, remember, if you mess up, someone among the Anarchs and someone among the Cam are both going to be very pissed and we're going to have a lot more of a mess to clean up. Now, if there's nothing else... I'm expected at Elysium. I have to advise the prince on a proposal she's received from the new Waterfront Warlord. Something about allowing embraces conducted in Cam territory to retroactively apply to Anarch gets. Either way, I'm the one who has to raise the licks, but I've been called in to give my opinion. So, best of luck, and be careful, alright? 
shit's going down in Melbourne and it's only a matter of time until it spills over to here. So treat this as a powder keg. So I'm sure I've proved to you after last time we can handle pretty much anything. I'm sure you can. Tig, look. Tig looks uncertain at that. <laughs> I'll leave you to it, Sam says. In a single motion, she rises to her feet, turns on her heels and steps away from the gazebo, pulling the darkness around her like a shroud as she disappears, leaving you alone in the silence, save for the sound of waves lapping at the beach down below. Wallace calls that pulling a Batman, but I have no idea why. Alright. That's so, always disconcerting. <laughs> so, your... Your investigation has a, num has a couple starting points. You've got to pick up the trail of this ghoul, but you also have to check in with Nadine herself. You've been given the location to start both of these, and it's entirely up to you where you'd like to begin, or if there are any other ways you think you could shake out leads, any contacts you think that would be useful, feel free to contact them. Um, so I want to ask about one of Mitch's Loishi things. Yep, the Malkavian cobweb. Yeah, so it says on across the web that you can hold more involved conversations with Malkavians in your city. Does that mean that yeah. you would be able to contact Nadine on the web? Yes, indeed you could. <laughs> if you don't want to go to her haven, you sure can. Please tell me Mitch makes modem noises. It's a novel oh, conversation, be... Mitch helpful to avoid whoever is watching who plays said it seems like they're only watching her to make sure she doesn't get into trouble they're unlikely to bother any of you but you're not exactly sure you still want them to know you're meeting with her if you talk about this out loud val will probably have something a little bit snarky to say about mitch's ability to conduct conversations Mitch is is explaining this out loud, his idea. <laughs> okay. Uh, Val kind of just like taps with her pen on her notebook and repeatedly just like tuts to herself. Are you sure you can handle this? Like, extracting information is, do you feel comfortable? with another Malkavian. It's easy for us to understand each other in a way that's harder for me to understand other kindred. Val smiles to herself. This finally makes it make sense. <laughs> so, Mitch, would you like to do this? Yes. So as you are all still sitting around the table, Mitch closes his eyes. He holds out his hands in front of him and moves them as if he's manipulating the dial on a long wave radio. 
an invisible dial trying to find the exact right frequency. Go ahead, make a rouse check for me, please, Mitch. Failed. Failed. You got hungrier. It's not often that you partake in this form of communication. The Malkavian Madness Network. There are some Malkavians who live in this, who have immersed themselves in this. But Mitch is not one of them. Mitch likes his peace and quiet. And so it takes you a few minutes to attune to the wavelength, as it were. It's very much like trying to hail someone over radio. Staticky, incorporeal. Static ringing in your ears. Indecipherable voices somewhere in the void, chattering over each other. More and more of them. Hundreds of voices. All whispering, shouting, babbling, and you can't understand a single word. Until your fingers turn the dial one more time and something clicks. The static disappears. And you're talking to Nadine Brandt. You're... One of Sam's, she says. An envoy. Uh, uh, Mitch, right? Yes, uh, we wanted to ask you about your goal. Oh, Carl, yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, what can I do? Uh, he's been missing for just over two weeks. I've got no idea where, and... If he says anything that could be seen as a masquerade breach, then uh, I am in big trouble, because I don't know if you heard, but, uh, I've got a sort of history, and, uh, well, my sire's a bit in the shits with me at the moment. Well, one major question I have is when was the last time that you let Coil feed from you? Hmm. Well, he only, he only gets his dose once a month, and so it would have been at the start of the month, just before he went missing. Actually, wait, no. One more time after that. He was fed twice this month. Got his normal feed at the start of the month, and then again a week later when I, uh, had a near miss. And, uh... I needed him to cover some tracks for me, so, you know, I gave him an extra dose so that he could better conceal himself, you know. And I'm pretty sure that was the last time I saw him. Well, that's good that he won't be at risk of having his bond get too weak that he might be more likely to boost the masquerade then. But what was this near miss that you're talking about? What happened? Oh, it was 
At this point, you're both aware of a babble of other voices incoherently talking over each other around you. Oh, oh, says Nadine. Uh, hmm. I don't want my sire to hear, is the thing. Look, this was really clever. I was not expecting you to reach out this way, and, uh, look, the people watching me, their shift or whatever they're on, it ends, uh, ends at 9pm, and there's a window of about, uh, 20 minutes before the next set of goons come, and, well, you could sneak in the front and, I can tell you in person, Thank you. I will talk to the Kodui and see what we can do. You hear Nadine gasp as if she's about to say something, and then you feel her presence dissipate, and a voice simply whispers in your ear, Pray tell you're keeping my child out of trouble. No. Um, of course, of course. Just asking a few questions to make sure that, uh, we can help make sure that she continues to stay out of trouble. Of course. Of course. I'm very interested in hearing about this near-miss. So please, when you know more, you know where to find me. Mitch opens his eyes, and he lowers his hands, clamping them down on the wooden table. To the rest of you, it's obvious that he's done that weird Malkavian thing that they sometimes do, where they just tune out and seem to awaken from a trance with reams of knowledge that they shouldn't have being gifted to them through the ether. I just, I have a feeling that Cross felt something vague and undefinable while that was going on. Yeah. It almost kind of felt like a wraith was nearby, but when you searched for one, you couldn't find one, and yet it was, there was the unmistakable presence of something disturbing the veil. Tig, it's a hard is waving a Carlton around. I mean, I thought... I didn't think the water would go over well. I wanted to get her a knit cap anyway. Elena's ace is always awake. <laughs> Val, what did you say? Oh, she's just asking Mitch how it all went. It kind of, like, yeah. smiling to herself, expecting something. Uh, uh, so we've gone well, right. I, I did talk to Nadine briefly. Um, I didn't get much information, unfortunately. Uh... The ghoul has been fed recently, which is good, because that means there's less risk of the blood bond, something happening there that might lead to difficulties. Uh, and we have about a 20 minute window after about 9pm 
that we can sneak in and talk to her, but she prefers that we speak to her in person as opposed to, uh, he kind of like does like a little like wiggly motion with his hands, the cobweb. Uh, Had a near uh, miss recently, apparently. Something her sire doesn't know about and is now really curious to know about. Cobwebs? Alright. Shit, nine, we better get moving. Yeah. It's not that long away, it's only about 20 minutes from now, which is coincidentally about how long it would take you to get to her haven. So, it's up to you. You know you have this window. Would you like to check in with her now? Or would you like to conduct your investigations first? Sorry, Val, what were you going to say? Oh, she was just going to check the time. <laughs> yeah. Val looks down um, at her watch. You've got just about enough time to get to Chillwell and find this video store. Uh, did we... Let me check my notes. We got, we got the ghoul's address, right? Yep, you've got the ghoul's address, and yes, he is... Down in Chilwell as well, about equidistant from here. The same distance as Retro Rewind, which is reportedly Nadine's Haven. They're both situated in South Gateway, down in the well-to-do leafy suburbs of Southern G-Town. Firmly Cam territory. Well, last time things seemed to go well when we split up, and I can't see all of us enjoying going having a face-to-face -face conversation. Would we like to go there and also go to see the ghoul at the same time? Or see what's left of the ghoul's haven? Ain't a bad mm. idea. I mean, I brought two dogs, but we can probably go sniffing. Yeah. And remember, you you are being requested to make sure that this isn't just something that Nadine is setting up to, to satisfy her sire's concerns that she's not merely trying to... not merely gearing up to defect. Well, if there's anything we learned about each other uh, in our foray to the nightclub, it's uh, one of us very much like mis likes mysteries. <laughs> yeah. So, Cross, would you like to do your thing that you do so well, where you sneak around and read documents and see the unseen? As long as it's not like last time. <laughs> Bell chuckles to herself. Yeah. Don't worry, this is, this is much more interesting, I promise. There are multiple last times, and one of them involved nearly getting caught by a serial killer, and another one involved merely being swallowed whole by a giant snake, so... And the worst one was when... Yeah, had to go to a club. <laughs> yeah, in the downtime. So, All right. so Tig, I presume you want to go to the ghoul's residence. Yep. Anyone who needs can catch a ride with me. Yeah. So let's let's how are we going to do this, guys? Or drive yourself. I mean, I don't know how he got here. Uh, that was already requested over, and it's on its way. But whether somebody uh, comes with her or not is up to them. So where's Val heading to? Retro Rewind or the Ghoul's She'll be going resident? to Retro Rewind. It's gonna go, gonna go chat to a Malkavian. That isn't yeah. it. And... So yep, no yourself. He should probably go to Retro Rewind as well. It'd be kind of weird if he yeah, got out there and then didn't show up. Definitely yeah. make sense. 
Yeah. So, Cross, do you feel like talking or do you feel like investigating? Take a guess. Take a wild <laughs> guess. <laughs> so, Cross edges over to Tig's ute and Tig throws the passenger jaw open with a flourish and this is the first time Cross has ever been in Tig's car and Cross, you're quite surprised that it actually still runs because you're pretty sure that this car is from the 1950s and it doesn't look like it's particularly well cared for. The passenger seat is covered in tufts of dog fur. The dashboard has a thick layer of dust coating it and the radio looks like it hasn't worked in a decade. There's a strange contraption under the radio that looks like a cassette player, only it's a bit bigger. And as Tig slides in on the other side and kicks some debris out, the side he says, All right, mate. So, would you prefer Journey, Best of Queen, or Johnny Cash? Journey. Johnny Cash. The sound of Don't Stop Believing fills the air as Tig slots in a tape. It's it it's, it's the the least bad of all options. It's Don't. a good thing Vince isn't here. <laughs> yeah, as Tig guns the engine and begins to reverse out of the parking area in front of the observation spot. The small cabin is instantly filled with. Don't stop! Don't stop! Don't stop! Stop! Okay, that, stop, that's enough. Stop. Ah, fuck! Hang on, you just gotta. He jiggles the console a bit. Uh, Val kind of waves them down before they leave. And, uh... <laughs> Hang on to this, feet, feet, feet. Cross yeah. just mashes the power button. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Val waves them down like a taxi and turns to Bouncer. <laughs> hmm? Sorry, love. Uh, where do you want to go? Do you want to come with us or do you want to go with them and whatever it is they're doing? in that awful car. Uh, I think I'd, I'm probably a bit better suited to you know, coming and talking with you a lot. Yeah, I wouldn't get in there if I was you. The Uber that Val ordered pulls up and you see the driver give a concerned glance at the monstrous ute that's positively vibrating on the road next to it. And then Bouncer and Mitch follow her and climb into the Uber. So, as yep. As they hop in, Val kind of muses to the air. Oh, I feel so sorry for Cross. I don't think it knows what it's getting into with that ride. <laughs> as, it said, as Val says this, you hear the engine of the ute roar, and it reverses out onto the road. The tires squeal as Tig picks up speed, and instantly the three huge dogs in the back start howling. Val <laughs> just uh, pulls on the little two. electric window button, and the window slides up in the Uber. <laughs> uh, two of them are howling. One's like poking his nose through the compartment hatch and sniffing the back of Cross's yeah, head. Sniffing Cross and barking loudly. <laughs> so, 
as the Uber driver gives Val a very strange look. She turns the key in the ignition and the little Prius roars to life as it carries you into downtown Gateway and to the sleepy suburbs beyond. We'll go with Retro Rewind first. About 20 minutes later, just shy of 9 o'clock, the Uber pulls up in front of Rewind Rentals, right on the edge of South Gateway and Rockford. It's at the end of a little side street that ends in a riverside park where people can enjoy their middle-class coffees and cafe treats that they've purchased while watching the Barwon River flow by, or rather, a specific part of it that isn't as polluted as the rest. Rewind Rentals slumps between two other businesses, a preserved antique of an earlier age of weekly rentals and overnight blockbusters. The business is obviously viable, because it's still running, although the pa peeling paintwork and flickering neon indicate perhaps a slow decay. Twenty-year-old movie posters scavenged from a local cinema are affixed to the windows with yellow ink sticky tape, and a handwritten sign announces the opening hours. 7.30pm to 3.30am every weeknight. Inside, the unfiltered fluorescent tubes cast stark light onto the chipboard shelving and display racks. Ranks of VHS covers show a comprehensive collection of horror movies, whilst a smaller section of the store caters to other genres. The smell of greasy popcorn greets you, emanating from a large machine with small styrofoam cups and a neat sign indicating that browsers are welcome to enjoy a complimentary cup of popcorn whilst they find their new favourite movie. It seems like a nice, nostalgic touch to a time when businesses cared about their customers. You scan the area ahead of you, searching the shop for any sign of Nadine herself. You see a young man behind the counter, and he's in a friendly, highly animated discussion with a patron, whilst perhaps five other customers meander through the collections. Beyond the reception area, there's a coin-operated op coffee machine, a fridge of soda drinks and chocolates, and nearby some round tables and plastic chairs that appear to be the product of a school surplus sale. Sitting in one of the chairs is Nadine the Malkavian Ancilla, and your contact. She drinks coffee from a foam cup and smiles as she feigns breathing by forcing warmer than the surrounding air vapour from her mouth. Another empty cup sits next to her, pop popcorn kernels littering the table, and her arm rests on a VHS copy of a movie called The Blood on Satan's Claws. As you approach, she fastidiously sweeps the detritus into the empty cup and tosses it in a nearby bin. And I'm going to bring a picture of Nadine up in our bear rodeo so you can get a good look at her. She gestures for you to 
come and sit down next to her. Her eyes looking far more gigantic than usual, resembling insects' compound eyes behind the thick lenses of her gigantic geeky spectacles. Her pale skin glows purple in the dim light, and on her t-shirt, a ski mask-wearing maniac gleefully brandishes a blood-soaked machete. As you take your seats, she point gestures towards the popcorn machine. And proffers an empty cup. Popcorn? Val's going to um, <laughs> very politely take a handful and uh, kind of, when Nadine offers offers the, the bucket to somebody else, just puts it on one of the shelves next to some of the uh, VHSs. You just lay it down. Nadine's... It would be impolite. Nadine sighs as she takes a sip of coffee. <sighs> so, we meet in person. I recognise you, you're Mitch, she says, pointing straight at Mitch. You, I don't know, and... She looks over at Val. I think you're one of the harpies? Forgive me. Look, I've been walking this city for... 80-odd years now, and, well, it's been a long time since I've been in court. I don't remember faces or names. I only remember people by what movies they like, so... Nadine Brandt, at your service. She holds out a shaking hand. Yeah, Val reaches out and shakes it. And she can't help but mess with Malkavians just a little bit. And she says, oh, do me. What, what's, what kind of movies do I like? Tell she turns, my And she looks at you and she says, hmm. I look at you and I think, I think, Mean Girls and The Devil Wears Prada. And when it comes to horror movies, hmm. She bites her lip. You kind of got a bit of a bit of the devil's advocate around you. I gotta say, <laughs> Valerie smiles a wide smile. <laughs> Nothing but vampire movies for me. Vampire movies? Ah, she says, can't stand them. You know they got that one called Nosferatu, and he's doing like all sorts of Tremere shit. Val chuckles. She definitely doesn't like vampire movies, but it's so much fun to mess with Malkavians. <laughs> she turns towards Bouncer and she says, You, hmm, you kind of got like a million dollar baby vibe to you. You know, look like you'd beat the shit out of someone if they looked at you the wrong way. Uh, Bruja, I'm taking it. Uh, sorry. Haven't seen you around. No, that's fair enough. I don't... Never been to Elysium, so you wouldn't have seen me there. You're not far off. 
This she raises an eyebrow. Anarch? You wouldn't be Anarch, would you? Uh, Val's eyes are narrow at this. This is what they warned them about. <laughs> oh. Well, shit. <laughs> Good thing I told Mitch this was a safe time to come because... Look, my sire, he thinks I'm going to flip sides, right? Because Dawkins did it, and me and Dawkins used to be close friends. But that was like 35-odd years ago, probably before you were even embraced. So my sire thinks I'm going to follow Dawkins. I just want to chill here and watch movies. And look... Maybe my grasp of the masquerade is a bit loose sometimes, but I'm working on it! <laughs> and... If I can just find... Carl before someone else gets to him first... Then my sire can sit his friend- have his friend sit on this shop for however long he likes, and eventually he'll get bored and realise that he wasted all this time watching to see if his child does anything other than watch movies and talk about movies with her little cadre of nerds here. She gazes over at the blonde-haired man behind the counter with obvious affection. Wait, you knew Dawkins, like, way back? Why? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, both child are of primogen. It's not easy to make friends amongst the rest of the cam. You know, you've got that status on your shoulder, so naturally, you know, you make friends with each other. And, mm. He really liked that, um, what's that one with, uh, with Gordon Gecko in it? You know, Greed is Good and, and all that. He, he, that was his favourite movie. And, you know, I, I never could see it. Cinematography was a bit eh, and the character wasn't especially likeable, but when you think of it in through the lens of a horror movie, it really did highlight how horrifically scary capitalism can be, you know? Uh, Val reflexively looks at her watch and pipes up. So when did you say the next shift was coming? Oh, uh, so he's had them sitting on this place for like a week now. He's got some ghouls that watch during the day. Gets to 9pm, they go home, and then some neonates that he's roped in come and watch for the rest of the night. They should be arriving... Ah, there, she says. She points out the window, and you whirl around on the spot, and... You see a... deep crimson car pull into the parking lot outside. There are at least four people seated within, and all four of them are staring like robots straight into the video rental store. Yeah, they'll be here all night, Nadine says. Right, so we got in without being seen, but they're gonna see us on the way out. Yeah, and uh, forgive me if I... forgive me, uh, Bouncer, was it? Yes. Yeah, and you're an Anarch. Now, look... This whole Anarch cam thing, I don't give a shit. I got plenty of friends who are Anarchs. They know that I'm not involved in their cause. They know that I'm not a die-hard supporter of the cam. I just do my own thing. But if my sire hears that Anarchs came to visit me tonight when I'm already in hot water, hmm, I think you'll ma maybe you'll have to go out the back door later, maybe? Hmm, yeah, I think... Uh, anyway, uh, 
Hold on, forgive me for asking, and tell me if it's none of my business, but if you're not allowed to leave, when do you eat? Unless you eat... And she kind of looks around at some of the sweaty people kind of browsing the aisles. She smiles and winks. I tell them we're reenacting the Lost Boys, I love it. <laughs> that surprisingly tickles Val. <laughs> Right. Mitch, she says, you, Rain Man, definitely Rain Man, but uh, also that cartoon that the kids watch, you know, with the blue haired guy and he's always burping, always drunk, and he's a massive nihilist, put those two together, <laughs> and that's what I get. Mitch is just eating popcorn and, and has no idea how to respond to that. <laughs> So, uh, look, I know Sam told you to check in with me, and, well, yeah, I appreciate that you turned up, so, my ghoul, he's been missing for two weeks, and, look, it's very important that we get him back as soon as I can. I need you guys to do it, because you're... The console's envoys. You're not particularly tied to one sect or the other. Outsiders. If I ask the Anarchs to do it, they're probably going to take advantage of the fact that I'm in trouble and try to force me over to their side. And if I ask the Cam to do it, I'm just going to get in trouble for letting my ghoul go missing. And if I look myself... Mm, well... You see them parked outside. Okay, so first things first. Carl. All ears. Everybody has a different relationship with their ghoul. And just for a brief moment, Val's eyes kind of mist over as she remembers what it's been like trying to figure out how to deal with Ophelia lately. And then she's back. Everybody has their own relationship with their ghouls. What is Carl to you? What does he do for you? Hmm, Carl is... Hmm. Well, he's been... Been my retainer for... Hmm, 40-odd years now. First picked him up in the 80s. And, look, Carl's there. It was my sire who suggested maybe I get a retainer who was good at covering things up, you know, because sometimes I step out of line, and that's what... That's what Carl's good at. You know, he can obfuscate, obviously, from the Vitae, but, well, he, he's also a hypnotist and has a way with people and is pretty good at convincing them that what they saw was actually just their imagination. And then there's the deal we've got going gone with my sire and... Oh, uh, I probably shouldn't talk to you about that. That movie's still out for review. Wait, no, that sounds important. You can't just, like, mm, you're a movie no. buff. You can't just put out, like, uh, put something out there like that without touching on it. No, no I, I disagree, Nadine says, screwing up her lips. This is, uh, it would be spoiling it, you know. No, no, de definitely not. Mitch kind of pipes up and is like, well, actually, to me, this sounds like a Chekhov's gun that you're not going to fulfill, which would be very bad filmmaking. 
Mm, I'd like Mitch to go <laughs> ahead and make a charisma performance or persuasion check, please. Okay. Add an extra dice for speaking her language. Two successes. Mm, a Chekhov's gun. Right, okay, but... You can't tell anyone and see... See, this is why I told you to come here in person, because my sire was listening, and if he found out I was telling you this... Oh, oh, oh well, I wouldn't even need to breach the masquerade. I would just be... Well, let's just say it would be a one-star review. Look, so... Carl and I are... Well, Carl is helping me to investigate a... Uh, well... Ways to reverse domination. See, my sire is quite interested in finding out if there's a way to do this. And Carl being a hypnotist and being able to coax out those buried memories, you know. And now you know why he is so incredibly important. Wait, when you say reverse, do you mean, like, Unicard reverse, or do you mean undo reverse? Like, if someone dominated you and made you forget what you were doing a couple years ago, and made you do their bidding, well, my sire is invested in finding a way to undo that, so that you could remember, you know. Like when you restore an old movie, you know, upscaled to high definition or whatever the kids are into these days. Okay, at that vowel size, a sigh of relief. That would definitely upset the kindred world if you could flip, flip domination on the domino. So now you understand why I uh, want to find him before, you know, someone gets a hold of him. Because we were making progress. And if anyone other than my sire were to tap into that progress, oh, well, that'd be very bad. That would be, ooh, that would be executive meddling to the nth degree. Okay, that raises some further questions. This little thing you've got going on with your sire and with Carl, did you involve anybody else in this project? Was it secret just between the three of you? Purely between me and Carl and my sire. Although... No, no, I'm pretty sure. See, whenever I have a near miss with the masquerade, I send Carl out to convince some people that they didn't really see what they did. And some of what he's learned from our research might be used for that, but I don't see how it would give them what they need to know about what we've been doing. I mean, in this situation, you can't leave any stones unturned. Somebody has clearly done something with Carl, and it... If it isn't you, and you're certain it isn't Gabriel, then we have to follow any, any leads we can. 
like Val to go ahead and make for me a charisma leadership roll. Are you using your awe, Val? Um, no, she hasn't had it on for this conversation because it doesn't seem yeah, necessary so enough. far. But if it starts to get heated, it'll be going on later. That's just a successive one. That didn't work out so well. You want to willpower that? Oh, you know what? I will. But I'm not using the dice roller in the channel. In the channel. <laughs> yeah, that's probably <laughs> wise. I've rolled about 40 dice re-rolled by that thing, and I've had one success. Success. Mm. So one sorry, success. Let me have a look. Oh, no, sorry. Uh, I'm about to roll. Oh, yep. Go ahead. Let's see. Uh, that is two successes overall. Two successes? Hmm. Well, I'm not sure who would want their hands on my ghoul anyway, because, well, things were pretty normal up until he disappeared, and I... She pauses for a moment. No, definitely not. There'd be no one who would think to make a move on him. Val, Bouncer, or Mitch, do either of you have any dots in insight? Uh, yeah, Val oh, yeah. has three plus insecurity. Mm. Mm. Yeah, Bouncer also has three. three. Yeah. Detect lies is his specialty. Yeah, so it's pretty obvious Jeez. to all three of you that... Nadine has an idea what may have happened to her ghoul, but she doesn't feel like telling you. It's obvious that she's short-stepping and trying to direct the conversation away from it. Okay, now all comes on. Valerie is going to pump herself up and put this nerd in her place. She can't outdo her. She can't outdo a Toreador. She's a Malkavian. Yeah. So go ahead for me and make me a manipulation plus presence roll. And I will compare it to her composure plus intelligence. Uh, that's two successes. Two successes. To her, four successes. She may not look it, but she's an Ancilla. She's 50, 60 years dead. She knows how to deal with harpies. And so, as everyone in the store suddenly turns to glance at Val, as the customers who are making their way between the aisles stop and linger in front of you, Nadine just shrugs, rolls her eyes. She looks over her shoulder, signals for the blonde-haired man behind the counter to come over, and then she calls out to him. Hey! Gino, uh, can you make sure, uh, that phone with that video is, uh, out of here by tonight, just in case you know? Got it, ma'am, he says. He turns around and disappears through a door behind the counter. 
What were you saying, Val? She says. Oh, that has got Val grinding her teeth. She ignored her and that is not acceptable. Heading in straight for the insecurities, Val is going to pointedly and directly address Nadine. Nadine, we've come all the way out here to try and save you and try and save face. I don't think you understand what's going to happen if this doesn't go well for you. You're going to lose your store, you're going to lose your livelihood, and you won't be able to watch your precious movies anymore. You're going to live a life, if it's even a life, that is miserable. Work with us and we can sort this out. Don't let this go wrong for any of us. I'd like you to go ahead and make for me a charisma leadership check again, please. Ah, dang, on the leadership. Although you can, instead of leadership, you are playing on her uh, in, on her insecurities. You can replace it with insight if you like. Thank you. Val has, Val has no leadership. She's not a leader, but she likes moving <laughs> pieces around. Val's doing this. Bouncer and Mitch. You see the guy behind the counter disappear into a back room. And most of the customers and all the other people in the store are now gathered around their gaze cleanly on Val and her radiant beauty. No one would notice if you simply got up and walked away. Yeah, I was thinking that, but I don't know, bounce, that's not Bounce's thing, she wouldn't. M Mitch, maybe it's like an elbow and the ribs, like... Yeah, Bouncer. Just like a, bouncer. A head, like a head, like a head nod to, like, towards the guy. Yeah, elbows are in, elbows Mitch in the rib, and... If, if in a moment nobody else has noticed that she directly asked Gino to dispose of some evidence, Val's going to start elbowing some ribs very hard. <laughs> Yeah. So, Mitch, so everyone's like looking away, right? Like, no one's really looking at. No one's looking at Mitch. Nadine's focusing on Val because she's trying to defuse Val's suspicions. And everyone else in the store, they're just, fo they're completely awestruck by Val's presence. So, Mitch, you and Bouncer are just sitting there and no one's paying attention to you. And you feel. Two elbows, oof, one in each side. Mitch is going to activate um, Unseen Passage then and follow behind. Go ahead and make a rouse check for me. Success. Success. As you fade away and rise from your seat, Bouncer leans over making a show of reaching for the cup of popcorn, just to give you a few seconds to step away. And then, you duck underneath the counter and rush for the door just before it shuts. You hold out your hand to stop it, and sneak in, allowing it to swing shut behind you. And you find yourself in what appears to be a big storage room 
there are yet more shelves groaning under the weight of old VHS tapes full of titles of movies that were made before you were embraced, before you were even born. Many of the tapes are unlabeled or have messy handwriting scrawled on them to tell you what they are. And over in one corner, there's what appears to be a makeshift staff room or office. There's a fridge humming loudly next to a desk piled with sheets of paper and cardboard boxes. And right now, the blonde-haired man is leaning over the desk, whistling as he begins to rifle through the boxes. Eventually, he fishes out an iPhone. Looks like it's several generations out of date. Places it down on the desk. And then he taps his... Taps his chin, stroking his beard as he hums, whistles, looks around. And then he says to himself, Ah! Right, right. The laptop. The laptop. And then he turns and steps away, disappearing among the shelves. Mitch is taking the the phone. Yep. Mitch just walks up to the desk, grabs the phone and slides it into his pocket. You peer down the shelves and see the blonde-haired man, Gino, fishing a battered-looking IBM laptop out from a compartment underneath one of the shelves, and then whistling, he turns around and begins to walk back towards you. Um, Mitch is gonna duck, like, out of his line of sight into the shelves. Yeah. I'd like you to go ahead and make me a dex stealth check and add your obfuscate. Three successes. Three successes. As he approaches, you turn on your feet and dash into the next aisle, hiding behind a stack of plastic boxes filled with old VHS tapes. Gino returns to the desk and he whistles as he sets up the laptop and then you hear him rifle through papers and cardboard boxes, muttering to himself, huh? I put it down just here, it's... Hey, the phone's gone! What the... it... Ah, shit, I'm gonna have to call it. And then he turns, disappears back into the shelves again as he makes his way to... the employee lockers at the back of the room where his own phone is stored, giving you enough of a chance to... Exit the room if you wish. Uh, but he's also going to call the phone. Yeah, can Mitch turn the phone off in that time? Yeah, sure. Quite easily. Yeah, he just turns the phone off. Yeah. Mitch Mitch presses his finger down on the screen, takes a couple of taps to get it to turn on. And as it turns on, the first thing that pops up is a video. The play button's right there. Wait, I said turn off. Like, if the phone was already yeah. on, he's turning it off so the ringer wouldn't come through. Yeah, you're waking it up so you can turn it off. 
Oh, okay. Yeah, he's just turning it off. He's not going to watch the yep. video right now. You hold down the home button and the little logo appears on the screen just before it blinks out. The phone's fully turned off. You exit the room and a few minutes later you're sliding down into your seat next to Bouncer. Val, I... Look, I want to help, says Nadine. I really want to help, but it's like... You know, it's about the destination, not the journey. Like, if you spoil the movie, then... You uh, spoil... Val, Val rolled a four, uh, and she's just going to decree, if your destination is what you have in mind, then you're going to be out there on the street in no time. Okay, okay, look. Look, look, look. I, uh... Alright. I may have, uh... Made a mistake. I had a bad near miss a couple weeks ago. I was... I was riding in the backseat of a taxi. I shared a ride with someone to an after-concert party, right? And, well, I thought it was dark in the cab and we were going under a tunnel and I was hungry. So I leaned over to feed and, well, uh, well, she caught me. She caught me. Uh, she started recording me. Uh, was going to post it on a site about the weirdest taxi passengers. Uh, I sent my ghoul to sort things out and he did, but the girl was, uh, well, it turns out she was the retainer of another vampire in the city. A Toreador. In the Anarchs. I wasn't able to get her name. And every time I've tried to reach out, she's gone out of her way to avoid me. But considering I sent my ghoul to quieten up her retainer, maybe she's the type that holds a grudge? So, what you're saying is you think that this woman you tried to feed on may have killed your retainer in self-defense? Maybe, or, or maybe she just took him, maybe she just took him captive, maybe, maybe she knows how important he is and she's going to use, use him as leverage to, to try to get something out of me, a boon or some way to squeeze the cam and get him to do things for the Anarchs, you know, everyone knows who my sire is and, well. If, if she was going to do that, why wouldn't she have contacted you by now? It's been two weeks. I can only figure that she's biding her time. And you really th thought this wasn't important? Like I said, it, it was a near miss, uh, and I didn't want it getting out. And it's not like I don't trust you guys, but if my sire were to find out... Right, he'd be so very angry. Which kindred is it? 
that ghouled this retainer. Well, I don't know. Which she Anna? says. I don't know. A Toriador. A Toriador, and she. I don't. I've not been able to get her name. All I know is that she doesn't like me, and when I asked. Look. I would ask my Anarch friends who she is to track her down, but I can't make contact with them without my sire finding out. All I know is that... All I know is that I fed from her retainer and I didn't know, and... Well, I don't know how long you've been around, but in some circles, that's a big faux pas. So, you spent time with this woman, presumably at the concert, and on the way to the after-concert party. Did you get her name at all? the ghoul? Yeah, she went by the name Lacey. Even gave me a phone number, but... Oh. Oh, please. Please don't contact her. I... Oh, no, I... If... If they're involved, I... No. Oh, that would just be painting a target on my ghoul's back. Ah, uh, uh, uh... Val looks at her extremely sternly. You, you've seen Taken, right? You, you, you just go. Go and... Go and get the ghoul back, you know? Val changes her expression from stern to lethal. Do you think this is actually like a movie? Really? Do, do you not comprehend how serious this is? All the men and women are merely players, as the great bard said. Mitch. Mitch looks at uh, at Val and kind of like makes a face of like we're just kind of like this. This is why Val doesn't spend time with Malkavians. <laughs> Usually, <laughs> right? Okay, so we have a name, Lacey. We know that the Domitor doesn't like you. We know that they're an Anarch, and we know the Ogul is missing. You said you sent the ghoul to find out about Lacey and find out where they live and get the information back? That was the last time I spoke to him. I... He never actually got any information. He just said he was taking care of it. Okay, that makes our job so much harder. But we can do this. Assuming you do your best to keep your head in this and understand that it's serious. Not just for you, but for everyone. So no more hiding things, okay? Please. Oh. We want to help you. Okay. All right. Well, uh, look. There's a landline phone in the back there, and I'll give you this number. She writes something down on an expired coupon and hands it to you. Two free nightly rentals when you. Two free nightly rentals when you start a new membership at Retro Rewind. If you find anything, you can can give me a call. My sire doesn't know about this. This is the safest way to contact me. Look, as far as I'm concerned, your sire never needs to find out. In fact, I think this would get more messy if he did. But look, I swear to you that I'm not making anything up here. This is... This is a real thing. My ghoul's gone missing, and I think he's in danger, and I know my sire thinks it's just a ploy so I can 
go defect the, the same way that Dawkins did, but but it's not. And I've told you everything I know, so now now it's up to you. The inciting incident has happened. You gotta go out there and you, you gotta fulfill the sequence of events, right? Oh, we can do everything we can. Val is absolutely grokking the fact that this woman thinks that history is going to unfold exactly as it's foretold to, but oh, she's going to have to do so much flat footing. <laughs> it's can not going to be that easy. <laughs> get Lacey's number anyways. Not to call her or contact her, but just to see what information we could find using her phone number. I suppose that doesn't do any harm as long, as long as you promise me don't call her because because if they don't know you're after them then oh if you if you head them off she snatches the coupon back writes down a number and hands it back to you just just please be careful because like i've said he's really valuable All the Balkan see throughout this conversation is all the social rewards she's going to be getting from this. The boons, the glory, the renown for resolving another fantastic dispute. But she's growing weary already of this conversation. <laughs> Look, we're going to do everything we can. We're going to get started right now. Does that help? Oh, immensely. Hey! I'm just about to watch Friday the 13th. Maybe you can solve it before the movie finishes. Maybe. That was feeling a little bit petty at this point. <laughs> I prefer Halloween, actually. Alright, well, look. You head out the back door, and then circle around to the front where you left your car or whatever. If you exit through the front door, my sire's goons will see you. Come on, I'll show you the way. Is there anything else you'd like to ask her or do here in the movie rental store? Um, not that, not that Val could think of. They've already got her metaphorical phone number with the cobweb. Um, yeah. She's already got all her notes. Um, that's all I can think of. Yeah. All right. So as she rises from her seat and beckons for you to follow her through the aisles of the very best Z-grade trash from the 1970s, 80s, and 90s, we will cross to the other team. No pun intended. That, that joke's going to get really old. <laughs> <laughs> um, not for a couple more sessions, at least. Mm-hmm. Pig's Ute rolls up to a stop in a cul-de-sac in the leafy suburbs of Southern Gateway. Only a block away from the Barwon River, flanked with family-friendly parkland and gentrification. Cryer's apartment building rests in an area that is still awaiting 
that gentrification. The historic homes and larger boarding house style structures here represent an enticing investment opportunity to attract a much younger, wealthier population, but the market isn't quite there yet. Several owner-operated restaurants and coffee shops, an independent press bookstore, handcrafted wares and new age shops seem completely at home and a relaxed community atmosphere pervades. The neighbourhood seems to enjoy eating later at night and the eateries are well populated as are the narrow streets. Very few cars are evident on the street or parked in front of homes. Like many of the rental homes in this street, Cryer's once larger house is now bisected to create two separate dwellings. It's the kind of townhouse where the two houses are separate but they're attached to each other and there's a communal laundry in the middle that serves both of them. Across the street from Cryer's home is a seemingly abandoned two-story townhouse Sporting faded police line, do not cross tapes, strung across the front of the property from a long abandoned crime scene. Right. Strangely, the lights in Cryer's house are still on, at least on the second floor. God, Mitt, I'm much of a detective. And from what Mitch tells me, you are. So what I'm gonna do is follow your lead. Sound good? Mm-hmm. Sounds good. So, okay. how would you like to do this, Cross? Got Tim you, following your lead. Give me a rundown of yep. all the so, details in the scene. So, Cryer's house, it's... You know those old-style townhouses where basically it's one giant house, but it's bisected into two? It's one of those, and there's a communal laundry. The lights in Cryer's house still appear to be on, at least on the second floor, and across the road from Cryer's house, there's a seemingly abandoned two-storey McMansion, and there's faded police tape strung across the entrance of it. And you, with your keen investigator's eye cross, you think that... The second floor of that abandoned house, you notice that it's slightly higher than the second floor of Cryer's apartment, so it might provide a good vantage point to see through Cryer's apartment without actually going inside. Yeah, definitely going to head that way. Um... Any, like, particularly uh, revealing details of anything around that might imply something about the person's personality? Uh, really. The lawn is quite well manicured, but you get the feeling that whoever lives here isn't home a lot. Because the, the blinds are drawn on all the windows, and... There's dust and leaves on the driveway and the path leading up to the front door. Okay. Yeah, definitely going to head to that vantage point. Yeah. Tig, what would you like to do? Gonna follow him. Alright. So, you duck under the old police tape and approach the front door of the two-story house. 
and cross this your this I am bringing a dog. Ah, yes. You whistle and one of the dogs comes bounding out of the back seat. It's so large that as it hits the asphalt, you can almost feel the ground thump and the dog barks. <laughs> wagging its tail as it bounds across the lawn towards you. So, Cross, as you approach the front door of this abandoned house, you reach into your pocket, prepared to reach for a set of lockpicks. To your surprise, you find the door already open, slightly ajar, and there's a massive gash in the wood just above the lock, suggesting that somebody has smashed the door open. Push the door open and it creaks. And you and Tig enter the derelict house with the large dog bounding behind you. Movement through the derelict house is simple, and despite the stairs that wobble and shake as you make your way up, Reaching the second story is relatively without danger. On the second floor, creeping mould is the only adornment, save for a wooden chair drawn up to the window. The window that provides an excellent vantage point to view Cryer's domicile. I would like Cross to go ahead and roll for me a Wits Investigate check, while Tig goes ahead and rolls me a Wits Animal Handling check. And we'll combine the successes from both. No forensics bonus, I take it? Actually, yeah, you can add your forensics Sweet. bonus. Six Only successes. One su Only Six. one success here. So the, you guide the dog around, Tig, it sniffs the floor. And as it approaches the chair set against the wall, it begins to bark and wag its tail. And meanwhile, meanwhile, Cross is carefully searching through the darkened room, squinting, trying to peer through the darkness, lifting up bits of debris here and there to check underwards. And Tig... When you head over to where your dog is barking, gleefully wagging its tail, you notice that there are clear signs that someone's been here within the last few days. Coffee stains on the floor from a thermos, a banana peel, crumbs from a sandwich that the dog immediately licks up before you have a chance to scoop up any of them. Ow. Easy back up there. Tell me Cross. about the smell. I say, because he's my bond famulus. The dog begins to growl. Man, woman. As you say the word man, he barks. Man. Uh, and then he, and then in an uncharacteristically human display, the dog props himself up on the windowsill, standing on his hind feet, peering at Pryor's house across the street, still growling. Cross, you see tracks in the dust. Faint footprints, fingerprints, 
indications that someone was here, that they were pacing around this room fairly recently. Signs that they've moved the debris, disturbed it. And so you follow these tracks, trying to see if... trying to retrace this person's movements. And under a flattened, stained cardboard box by the entrance to the room, you find something that the person may have dropped. An eggshell white business card. There's a name written on it. Walter Bergman. Pentex Corporation Project Management. That's always Pentex. Uh, Cross is going to hand this to Tig and ask if it means anything to him. Also, at this point, I think that Cross would be starting to smell something as well. Yeah. Tig squints at it, and a brain cell rubs together. Pentex, one that Ventrues ghoul. Lot wasn't that Ventrues was the mayor ghoul and the mayor involved with Pentex. Uh, what does does Pentex ring a bell for Cross, Cross at all? So Cross, you just know what most, unless you have any dots in finance, it does not. You would just know what most people know that Pentex is a big corporation it's mainly concerned with mining and energy and oil and you recall seeing something on social media about how at the moment they're trying to get an offshore platform up in the bay because they've found some oil or something there and people are protesting it because it would you know destroy the beauty of the bay but that's about it just a call though okay it's so, quite I mean... clear to you, though, that this card is brand new. In fact, you can almost smell the ink. It looks like it was only printed very, very recently. It solemnly goes in Tig's Rolodex. <laughs> yeah, with all the other old business cards. Um, but this that... is a second. Oh. This is a second. No, you're gone. <laughs> I was going to say on that note, Cross uh, begins following up the smell that the dog is smelling itself. So, what discipline or power are you using to do this? Why is Cross able to smell things? Heightened senses. Oh yeah, heightened senses, yeah. So I'd like Um, you... I I, I think though that Cross doesn't quite know it can do this yet, and it's just sort of, it's it's feeling, hang on a minute, I'm noticing something here. Just... Sniffing the air. And Tig, you're watching Cross curiously as it just begins to make its way towards the entrance of the room. And Cross, how many dots do you have when we combine your wits with your auspects? Uh, that is four. Four. Yeah, that'll be enough. But as this is your first time doing this, I'd like you to rouse the blood, please. Yep. Two extra days, so hey. Fail. Fail. Well, that'll bring it so that'll bring it to six altogether. So you get hungrier and the beast begins to grumble in your stomach, but you barely notice it. Something is guiding you out of this room, 
out into the hallway and towards the wobbling staircase. And Tig, when you see that something is directing Cross, do you follow? Yep. Tell the dog to heal and stay in the back. Stay quiet. Yeah, lucky. Because if you brought the dog down the staircase, I was going to make it collapse. But Tig and Cross on their own. The staircase wobbles and creaks under your weight. But you reach the bottom and still Cross is moving, guided by some unseen force. It exits through the front door. Crosses the road and occasionally stopping to sniff the air. At this point, the dog will get called back. Inside the house behind you, you hear a loud crash as the staircase finally crumbles under the weight of your dog, who leaps from halfway up the staircase, landing with a thump on the carpet behind you. When you look over to Cross, you find it standing on the front doorstep of Cryer's apartment, reaching down to grip the door handle. Cross, whatever's guiding you, that strange, almost imperceptible scent, because it is only now that you realise that you can smell something. The presence, the smell of sweat and urine. Someone has passed through this way. They've entered Cryer's house. And then at a later time, have come back out again. This time, however, they saw fit to cover their tracks. The front door is locked tight from the inside. Okay. Well, may as well try lockpicking. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead and make me a wits larceny check. Tig will stand watch. Yep. Tig just stands with his back to cross arms folded while the dog sits next to him. <sighs> Three successes. Click! The door creaks open. It's a simple lock. Oh nothing, god, it's master lock. Master lock. Nothing that the nothing that a few few weeks spent deep diving the lockpicking lawyers YouTube channel. They would used have, to um, do good work, but then they just switched to that mass produced shite. <sighs> it was the damn you, these days. As you step across the threshold, it becomes clear to you that most of the house is disused. The living room has a few mismatched, obviously second-hand lounge chairs arranged around a well-worn oval coffee top with a glass top. A tarnished silver tea service rests on a cloth. The cups and the teapot are both empty. Fireplace and a small, neatly stacked pile of timber complete the room. The curtains are heavy, dusty, and block all incoming light. The kitchen comprises a small sink, an older model refrigerator, a microwave, and a walk-in pantry. It would appear from the lack of table and chairs that Cryer dines exclusively in the living room. The refrigerator, as you open it, contains a stockpile of microwave meals, a decent amount of fresh 
fruit and cross with your dots in investigation, you notice sequestered away at the very back of the fridge what appear to be three blood bags. All unlabeled, but unmistakably filled with blood. Each of the bags bears the sticker of a local blood bank, and the date recorded on each of them tells you the blood is fresh. Okay. Yoink, but also inspecting them a little further. Appears to just be normal blood. It's almost exactly the same as the stuff you received earlier tonight, just from a different clinic. Okay. Waste not, want not, you say out loud as you drop them into your instrument kit. Actually, quickly, um, I reckon Russ keeps, like, a black light and some tape on it, so it probably would be able to lift a fingerprint or two just to... I think it's curious enough to see what the like if the source of these bags matches its own source. It so, won't be able to reference here probably, but it wants to I collect that information. I won't make you roll for that because you have the forensic specialty. So you lift, you use some black tape, lay it along the sides of the fridge, and lift a set of fingerprints. Two sets of fingerprints, actually. One of them presumably belonging to Cryer, and the other belonging to whoever delivered this blood but you don't recognize them you move on beyond the kitchen and into the walk-in pantry and it contains storage boxes stuffed with files and notebooks quite legible handwriting documents a deep exploration of a range of what appear to be psychological experiments and research. If you want to decipher them, you will have to make an intelligence academics check. Yeah, alright. <laughs> Don't suppose I can call on a on Tig for help much there. <laughs> uh, Tig fumbles around his pocket is like, I left my readers at home, sorry. <laughs> ah, it's a fail. Ah, yep, well... Without a grounding in psychology, you're unsure of exactly what these notes are, but there is a lot of them. The entire walk-in pantry is filled with boxes of them, and there is, obvious even to TIG, years and years and years of research compiled here. If you want, I can start moving this back to the U. I think we've got enough room for all of it. Actually, with that, Cross remembers outside and uh, takes a moment to just listen quietly, shushing Tig. Yeah. I'd like you to go ahead and make me a wits awareness roll, adding your auspects, please. Five successes. Tig is gonna listen as well. Yeah, go ahead, Tig. Messy critical. No. Seven. Messy critical. So. Actually, you know what? I'm going to spend willpower to reroll that critical success. Ah, so it won't be a messy. Probably there a good go. idea. Only, only four. Your beast growls, Tig. 
as if it senses threats, looking for looking for that unseen predator, that thing ready to jump out at you. But all you hear from outside is the distant bark of a dog. You seem to be alone, but I will take note of the fact that you're actively listening and the number of successes you got as Cross sniffs the air again and without a word begins to ascend the staircase to the second floor towards the room where the light is still on. The upstairs bedroom is furnished with a single bed, cupboard and nightstand with a large roll-top desk set in front of the open window. This has the most lived-in quality of any room. The bed is unmade, the clothes hang from the door handles, and on the back of the chair and papers, once in orderly piles on the bed, have become disorganised as the breeze moves them about slightly. The light is still on, and it seems quite obvious that a struggle took place here. Okay, uh, investigating the struggle more. Uh... Yeah. What particular signs? Is there blood? Is there uh, gouges on anything? Damage or anything? Um, go ahead. Make me an intelligence investigate check. Add your forensics. Well, this is going on. Tig will crouch down next to Wheeler the healer and ask him if he smells the same man smell that he smelled in the other place. His tail wags. Woof, woof. And then he growls. And I'll ask you to make me a Charisma Animal Handling check as well, just to see if you get something. That's four for Cross. Four for Cross. Two for Tig. Two for Tig. By the way, Tig, he is confirming that it's the same voice, the same smell. So... Same fella who's watching. Same fella, yeah. You reach over and pat the dog behind the ears as a reward and then the dog begins to sniff the ground <laughs> it barks as it runs towards the bed and starts pouring at the papers piled on the mat in front of it while cross slowly carefully examines the room you don't find any blood or gashes but Cross, you do find scuff marks on the polished floorboards and an impression in the thick woolen rug in the centre of the room. It seems like somebody was seated at the desk and they were grabbed from behind, subdued without any trouble and dragged out of the room. The scuff marks on the floor seem to suggest as much. Okay. Is there anything on the desk? Yeah. Head over to the desk to see what whoever was sitting there was looking at. And the documents that are scattered about are like those found in the pantry, although with more recent publication dates. But there's a bunch that are different. A series of newspaper clippings, older handbills and photographs that are secured together by paperclip. They all relate to shows, reviews and interviews given by Herr Kreyer, drawing your memories from the unconscious. And the most recent date is almost 20 years ago. 
The playbills tell how the hypnotist, Hair Cryer, would induce a deep trance in willing participants and then draw images from the mind's eye. Reviews marvel that even participants previously unable to draw, even a small stick man, produced high-quality, recognisable images under hypnosis. Hair Cryer, hair is in German, Cryer is in the word, or...? As in, Hair Cryer, as in... You're pretty sure these are referring to the same guy, the ghoul, Herr Cryer. Her as in, yeah, the German word. Yeah, cool. And, and there's a picture of him, and he's dressed up like a old-timey European showman with top hat and cane, topped with a spinning pendulum. <laughs> Meanwhile, Tig... You head over to where the healer is, where where the dog's pouring at the papers, and you whistle to make the dog heal, and then kneel down, lift up some of the papers, and find a piece of paper, and it looks like something out of an old-timey crime movie. The letters on it are cut out of newspaper and magazine headlines, haphazardly assembled, and it reads, I know who you are, her crier. You still look the same. Meet me, or I'll tell the press where you live. A mobile telephone number is scrawled at the bottom of the page. Cross. Found a clue. Okay, first off, I'm just saving that number. What is it? To be and, a normal uh, mobile number. You're gonna dial it? Just saving it for now. Yeah, just saving it. You save it in your phone as Tig folds up the piece of paper, stuffs it in his pocket, and then suddenly the healer begins to growl. And with your highly tuned senses, you hear the sound of tires crunching over asphalt as a car pulls up in the driveway outside. Time to go. I'm following his lead, so I'll tell the healer, shh. Follow quietly. Hearing okay. out. Peering out through the bedroom window, you see a blue combi van pulling up on the driveway. Headlight, high beam headlights shining at the house. You watch as it stops, the headlights die, and the door slides open. And a woman with frazzled-looking, shoulder-length blonde hair wearing a white lab coat steps out, holding a blue medical cooler in her left hand. She takes one look at the wide-open front door and then begins to make her way up the driveway, her high heels echoing in the night, and I'm going to put a picture of her in our bear rodeo so you can see what she looks like. Silence of Death is on, by the way. Silence of Death is most definitely on. So she's making her way in through the front door, and you're currently on the second floor. What would you like to do? Uh, take okay. Looks, take a look across. 
don't think we'll be able to dodge her. If you want, I could try and bluff her. I'm not great at it. And you can hide and be in reserve. Uh, what, what, what disciplines do you have, uh, Tig? Absolutely fucking nothing that helps with this. Okay. Uh, that's alright. Uh, okay, uh, first off, any windows around? So, there's the bedroom window, and it's directly above the driveway. That's how you're able to see the van pull up and the woman exit. But there's also an upstairs bathroom that has a small window. Quite small, you'd have to squeeze to fit through, but you possibly could. And that one drops down onto the roof of the kit of the laundry that this apartment shares with the one next to it. Oh, but we wouldn't be able to really get the dog out, would we? Okay. Um, yeah. I think we're going to have to have a confrontation. Yeah. So, okay. Why don't we go downstairs and maybe she'll listen to reason? Tick pulls out his Rolodex, f fiddles around here, finds a PI's card. There we go. Okay. What, ah, are, what are we? we what are we telling her then? Where investigators are to look into girl's disappearance. That could be tricky with me. <laughs> well, and you can hide, and I'll just be doing the talk, and then that. Oh, oh, wait. And Tig activates the blush of life. Yeah, Crest does as well. It can it's be okay. a junior investigator, it should be okay. Yeah. Go ahead, rouse the blood. I fail and get hungrier. Uh, Crust does not get hungrier. And I'll, I'll turn Silence of Death off. Colour flushes into your cheeks as you step out of the bathroom and begin to make your way down the stairs to the kitchen. As you reach the bottom of the stairs, you come upon the woman just as she's transporting more bags of blood from the medical cooler into the fridge. I think Cross would take on a surprisingly sort of American tainted affectation at this point. And it would be like, uh, ma'am, please stay calm. As soon as you call out to her, she slams the fridge shut, drops the cooler on the floor. One remaining blood bag spills out and the plastic breaks as the vitae begins to pool on the tiles. And in a whiffed single motion almost certainly supernatural she reaches into her lab coat pulls out a snub-nosed revolver and points it in your direction who are you hands are raised tigs aren't he just slowly reaches up flips open the coat to reveal the double-barreled shotgun and says first of all put that down and we'll have us a talk. If you don't, things are going to get real dicey. And behind him, or with his unbidden command, the dog growls. Tig, go ahead, make me a strength or charisma plus intimidation check. Add an extra dice for the dog. Okay. That's this is not the tone is that Cross expected, and so it's going to have to adjust very quickly on the fly to this. <laughs> To be fair, Cross did its best impression of a junior investigator. It's just that this woman's not going to be fooled by that. <laughs> yeah. How'd you do? Um, how did you do, Tig? Four successes. Four successes. 
The woman lowers the gun. She doesn't put it away, but she lowers it. It hangs by her side. She narrows her deep blue eyes as she stares at the dog. What are you? Gangrel? And you, you've got the look of a Hakata. If you are right. a Hakata, then some shit's happened to Carl. You've gotten one. Not on my account. We're actually here looking for Carl. You know where he is? Not a clue, the woman shrugs. All I know is I was meant to drop him off some blood tonight, and, well, I was planning... You know, usually when I drop off the blood, we have a good long chat. Wasn't expecting him to not only be home, but to meet two more kindred here. Two more kindred? You two. Wait, wait, wait. Carl was kindred? No, he was oh, a ghoul. you? Nadine's ghoul. Nadine Brandt's ghoul. You know her? Malcancilla. Saya tries to oh. get her to come to court, but she sits in that video rental store the whole time. Oh, wait, I'll get it. So you deliver blood here and he takes it to Nadine, yeah? Exactly. Now you're cluing on. All right, sorry. It's been a long night. <sighs> Tick takes off his hat, sits on the stairs. <sighs> okay. So, uh, how often do you make deliveries? It's a week. Give or take. Alright. Ain't he been missing for two weeks, though? Well, Take yeah. Across. I came in, I delivered the blood last week, just assumed he wasn't home. It's quite normal, you know. Nadine, the things she has him do... Well, look, if he were my ghoul, perhaps I would treat him with a bit more respect. But under her orders, yeah, him being home ain't exactly... A strange occurrence. So I just dumped the blood in the fridge like I do and came back the next week. Huh. Now, what kind of things what kind of things does he have it do? Does she have him do? That might be a clue. The woman shrugs. Ah Got him constantly reading all these journals, chasing up all these leads, psychology related stuff. Probably <sighs> so probably she's got him doing legwork to cover up all the masquerade breaches she's got to her name. It's only a matter of time now, I keep saying it to him. I keep saying, Carl, only a matter of time. Nadine's gonna get the chop. And when she does, I'll petition to take him under my wing and treat that man with the respect he deserves. Cross shows her the uh, phone number and asks if it means anything to her. The woman looks at it, and then she just shrugs, shakes her head. Can't rightly say. Don't know any of Carl's friends, asides from Nadine, and that's definitely not her number. You reckon someone was blackmailing him or something? I think so. Uh, maybe, but there's, like, a couple parties involved in this. Did you notice anything weird about that house over there? Anyone watching from it? One across the street. Yeah. That's been abandoned for months. Uh, no, it hasn't. Hmm. Well, now that you mention it, when I was here last week, couldn't shake the feeling I was being watched. Didn't quite finger it to that house, but, you know, being a warlock, I wouldn't 
say that I lack or specs. And, you know, the sixth sense was telling me something was off. Cross uh, produces the business card and hands it to her. Walter Bergman, Pentex, Project Management. Yeah, they're those guys trying to get the oil rig up in the bay, and the Ventru Primogen's child is in charge of the whole thing. I know that much. Look, she raises her hands. I'm Tremere. Anarch or Cam, we don't get involved in the whole thing. So if this got something to do with court politics, it's going over my head. But if you say Carl's missing and you're here looking for him, then I'm going to assume some shit's gone down that shouldn't have gone down. That's probably. Looks like an upstairs. We just don't know what kind of shit it is. Actually, did you say you have Auspex? Yeah, a little bit. Would you accompany me upstairs? The Tremere raises her eyebrow. It's a bit uh, of a mess. You might see clues we missed. Something I should see? Yeah, take a look. She shrugs. She finally puts the gun away into the folds of her lab coat, and she holds out a shaky hand. Uh, Christina, by the way. Ah, Tig. Tig Dunson. Uh, I'm in charge of the local blood blood bank. One down in oh. South Gateway. Uh, made a deal with Nadine to deliver blood once a week, you know. Did it mostly to keep Carl happy on account of, I actually like Carl. You know, you have a conversation with him, it's like you're talking to someone on the same level, right? But to keep him happy, you got to keep his domita happy. At least until she fucks up for the last time. Lead on. You lead her up to the second floor. Her eyes go wide as she sees the state that the room is in as she surveys the mess. Did the presser pick up how long it had been in the state, by the way? Um... Mm, it's probably it looks like the struggle happened not too long ago like it probably you don't know for certain without access to like a forensics lab but based on the level of dust on stuff it looks like maybe this happened a week or two ago the scene lines up more or less with the timeline of events here but I just wondered if you might be able to spot anything I can't. She looks around. You see her eyes glimmer yellow for a second as her auspex analyzes and calculates every minuscule detail of the room. Cross was a strange itching on the back of its head. Finally, she sighs. She blinks, and her eyes return to normal. It's been a struggle. Someone snuck up while Carl was sitting at the desk, dragged him out through the front door, from what I can tell, and... Wait. Her eyes fixate upon the playbills for Hair Cryer on the desk. 
She stops, her voice trailing off mid-sentence, and stares into the air silently. Something, Tig, that you've seen Mitch and Val do on several occasions. She's having a premonition. After a few moments, she shakes her head. Ugh. Ugh. The one who has him is trying to... They're trying to remember something, and and they have him in the nest... The nest of a great eagle, she says. Christina shakes her head and shrugs. Ah, oh, was never one, never great shakes at deciphering these. Okay, that's an eagle. Oh, speaking of weird staring off into the distance, Tig looks at across. You want to check for ghosts? Yeah, I don't know if it's likely, but did there is any feathers around actually? Um, sure. Let's roll for it. Um, let me just check what you have to roll. Uh, clans, Hecata, disciplines. Uh, wait, let's go to the actual table of contents. I just have to look in the player's guide here. Give me a... You're doing this. Uh, cross comments. I, I don't get premonitions or whatever, but I... This stuff isn't too dissimilar to how wraiths like to communicate. Was there any other detail in what you got? She screws up her face, somehow looking even more neurotic than before. Hmm. The nest of an eagle. I see a great eagle, but its nest is a building. And there are twins. Twin children. No, twin caretakers of the eagle and... It's a transitory place. People coming and going. People coming and going. Some stay, but never permanently. Airport? No, can't be. Too far out of town, she says. I would like you, Cross, to go ahead and roll for me. Why is it not... Sh ah, here we go. Oblivion. <laughs> uh, so, you've got uh, the Binding Fetter. Go ahead, roll me a Wits plus Oblivion. Two successes. Two successes. Suddenly, the Tremere gasps as Cross's eyes roll back into their sockets and turn deep black. Pierce the veil between worlds. Pull the shadow lands around you like a cloak. And everything is cast into black and white. You're not expecting to find anything. And of course, you don't. No fetters at least. But here, in this room, the shroud has been frayed, viciously torn, as if a rabid animal tore apart a curtain strung over a window, left it 
in tatters. Somebody groans in discomfort. Somebody here, somebody who's been here, has tried to pierce the veil. They haven't done it properly. They've done it in a very primitive and primal way, but they've tried to pierce the mist of shadow and memory to dredge up something. Not necessarily a wraith, just a memory of something that was. Uh, Shadowlands are, after all, a world of echoes, a world yeah. of resonance. Yeah, Cross being around this fence is actually quite uncomfortable, but it's going to try and uh, focus for a minute and just any any more details around that might lead to more information of what's happened here, who's done this. As you focus, how many dots in wits do you have? Three. Alright, and how many dots in composure do you have? Three. Three. three I've got three four in one. resolve. Alright. So, yeah, four in Resolve, plus three in Wits. You focus on the tattered remnants of the Veil, trying desperately to fight past that sense of unease, trying to figure out what was dredged up. A voice echoes throughout the room, echoes through this Shadowlands mimicry of Cryer's bedroom. What did this to me? What took my blood? What haunts my dreams? I must know. You blink. Colour returns to your vision. Uh, again, firmly in the skinlands. Oh. Uh, uh, Looks like Russ, a bad trip, uh, sort of just sits on the floor its legs tucked up against its chest and it uh, it takes a moment to breathe and then it uh, produces a notebook from its bag and just sketches down the gist of those details and hands it to uh, hands it to the others and then just sort of closes its eyes and breathes for a moment Christine looks at Tig, confused. I... I know Hecata do things with, with, with ghosts, but surely there, there's not, not a ghost here. Not, not here. Carl's house. Not uh, a ghost. Like... So if I'm understanding this right, Tig says looking at the details. Go on, sorry. I'm not understanding this at all. Hack job. Oh, a lot of, lot of anger. Fuck. Uh, All okay. I know, says Christine, holding up her hands and stepping back into the doorway, is you're doing something creepy with ghosts. This gangrel looks like he's loaded to bear and Carl is missing. How do I know you're not the ones who did him in, eh? Uh, simple. Sister. Everyone knows the rumours about Nadine, that she's looking for any excuse to cut ties with her sire in the cam and defect to the Anarchs. How do I know she hasn't been you? Because if we was, 
I wouldn't have stopped when you pulled out that gun. And seeing as we're the only folks here, you'd be buried in the backyard with a stake in you, none the wiser. But instead, we're going to go our separate ways with what we learned. Because we're just as confused as you are on. Look, I believe you. You're just looking into it and... I'm a Tremere. I don't know your faces, but I do know about Sam Stokes. Okay? And I know that she tries to keep the peace between both sides and, well, thinking about it. Anyone who'd be looking into this, well, Sam must have sent him, right? Yep. Nadine Brant's too much of a political minefield for anyone else to bother helping her out. And look, I'd love to help you. But I'm not going to associate with people who are tied to Nadine Brandt. That would be suicide. Sounds good. So how about helping us on the sly? It's obvious that you care about Carl here, and uh, frankly, I've got nothing against him. So, I mean, you helping that. We're going to find him one way or the other, but I don't know how long it's going to take, and I don't know if he's going to be alive or dead by the time we do. You helping we could make the difference. Just saying. Tig, make me a charisma and leadership or persuade check for me. Oh. So that's two dice. A drop of blood rolls yeah. on the front of Chris's can... face as it sort of pulls itself yeah, to attention. I'll try. I'll try and uh... okay, I rouse the blood. So that's four dice. Yeah. Right. I was going to say you can sub charisma for wits if you want. You know, because you're you're saying common sense essentially. They're the, they're the same number. Okay. Yeah. So you're rousing the blood. And I will use willpower to re-roll. Listen, ain't nobody know, doesn't have to know you're involved in it at all. Says Tig with two successes. We've got no reason to go stirring shit up with the Tremere, who, as you said, is neutral on all this. And if you helps us on the sly, ain't nobody will know you were involved. And you, she says, raising her eyebrow across. I know the Hecata are meant to be like the Tremere, not picking sides. I, I couldn't care less. What's your game? I just like solving mysteries. Hmm, something we got in common, at least. <laughs> she smiles. Alright, look. Was the name on that card? Walter Bergman? Yep. Got a couple neonates in the Chantry that owe me some favours. And look, I may run the blood bank, but I'm awful at blood sorcery. But they know how, they know what they're doing. And maybe I can run the name by them, see if they can do a ritual. And see what cryptic bullshit the beast gives them. And pass it on to you. That sounds lovely. Here's me card. She takes it. But 
when you find Carl, I want you to think twice about handing him back to Nadine. She and her sire are using his mind as a pincushion for their horrific experiments. He's a smart man and he deserves a Domitor who appreciates his talents. Understand? Well, when uh, we do find him, do you want me to tell, tell him that you helped save him? That my mm. influence is choice? Influence? Sure. Mention my name. But strongly encourage that he does the right thing and doesn't go back to her. You do this, and hey, you can consider me a friend within the Tremere. Alright. She she holds out a hand. Let's see how it goes. She holds out a hand. Shake on it. Can't promise nothing, but I will mention your name. And I'll... You did help here. Anything beyond that, I have to talk over with the Coterie. And I shake but you sold me. She steps away, brushes a lock of blonde hair out of her face, straightens her lab coat, and then as she exits, she looks over her shoulder. You can keep the blood, by the way, and if you do right by Carl, maybe there might be more coming your way. Cross nods. And then she steps out of the hallway. Is there anything, any last finishing touches you'd like to do while you're in Cryer's house? I can't think of nothing to tell the truth. Says Game Steve. enough. Can you think of anything? The only thing that appear, the only thing that occurs to you, Cross, is dialing that number. And Cross is far too painfully exhausted for that. Yeah. Uh, Cross, actually, uh, do you do you wanna do you wanna call this number or? Um, no. I'm thinking we could should talk to somebody who knows how to hack and get them to download the internet and see if it's on there. <laughs> uh. Okay, Cross is going to Google the phone number. <laughs> Make me an intelligence technology check. Tigger's like, you sure you want to do this? They're going to trace our signal. <laughs> right there, right there to Cryer's house. On another night, yeah. Cross would say, like, don't worry, I've blocked the signal, but uh, it's Which too is, tired. <laughs> wait, oh, this is clever because they already know where their house is. All right, yeah. Oh, Four successes. Fun. Four successes. You find the number on a list of commonly spoofed scam numbers. The type of website where people leave reviews such as called me, had strong eastern accent, tried to sell me internet package I already have, that type of thing. Okay, it's a dud. It's a dud? Alright, well we can take it back to the Kori along with the note and see if any of them has any ideas. Because I'm fresh out. We will now. Let's go.
Yeah, let's go. Leave, Come on, Wheeling. You leave the scene of the crime behind. And as Cross exits the room, it shudders. Feeling feeling the tattered veil call out to it silently. We will go back to the others for one last scene, because it occurs to me that Bouncer has not rolled once this whole session. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel bad and I want to give Bouncer something to do. So. That's fine. <laughs> back in the... Back in Retro Rewind, Nadine leads you to the back door so that you can escape her haven without being monitored by her ever-present babysitters. Cutting through a staff room filled with packing boxes, posters stored in mailing tubes and furniture that matches that outside, you reach the back door. She reaches over and turns the knob and the great rusted metal door creaks as she pulls it open. She winks and smiles. And as you step out into the alleyway outside, she calls out, Remember, don't look up the ending online. And then she slams the door shut. Outside, the alleyway is filled with a damp smell from piles of waterlogged newspapers and other refuse. The ground squelches unpleasantly in patches and the neon signs of surrounding businesses cast a dim pink light. It's quickly apparent to the three of you that you're not alone. I have to say to that, says a voice. Fucking dob us in! You fucking dog! Dog cunt! In the mouth of the alleyway ahead of you, three hoodlums dressed in ill-fitting cargo pants, tank tops that are at least a size too big for them, and thick silver chains around their necks are laying into a whimpering man dressed in a grey business suit who's cowering in a pile of trash, dirt, and rainwater. Please! No! You're the wrong man! You're the wrong man! He whimpers. Oh! We fucking saw you that night! You're a police dog, aren't you, cunt? Aren't you? Says one of the gang members, delivering a swift kick to the man's rib with a combat boot. The three gang members have their backs turned to you. As they hear you approach, one of them looks over his shoulder and says, You mind your own business and move on! And then he turns back to the whimpering wretch at his feet. What do you do? Mm. You could simply move on. But, we'll point out, 
that as you approach the mouth of the alleyway, regardless of whether or not you plan to intervene or simply move by, you're suddenly struck by the sense that you're being watched. Val, Mitch, Bouncer. Oh, where there? Sorry, yeah. I thought I thought that um, we were going out the front door. No, no, you're going out the back door. You don't want to be seen, remember? Um, Val's uh, pulling down uh, the cuffs <laughs> of her jacket and stuffing her hands I mean, in her Val pockets. And and... Mi- Val and Mitch could go out the front door if they wanted to and just leave Bouncer go out the back, but I assumed you weren't doing that. Uh, this works fine too. No, Val's yeah. just sticking her hands in her pockets and kind of walking by. It's not her problem. Yep. Mitch, what are you doing? It's a really excellent question. I think Mitch would kind of try to walk over and be like, look, like, can we maybe calm down a little? Like, this is a bit bit much. And Bouncer? Uh, uh, she wasn't going to try and just like, <laughs> yeah, alright, and keep going. Yeah, she follows. Like, not like this is uncommon, but it's like seeing Mitch turn away, she's like, uh, and turns back around. <laughs> Mitch walks up and he says, is this really necessary, boys? I mean, look, he clearly doesn't have anything to tell you. Just take his wallet and be on with it and... Ew. The fuck you say to me? Says one of the gang members. He turns around. He delivers a swift kick to the man's gut. And then he gestures towards him. He says, this, this bastard sold us out to the cops. We saw him in the club the other night, we did. And he told the coppers we had drugs. So we found him. We found him. And we are going to beat the shit out of him. And we'll make sure he never does it again. So you just turn away and move around or we'll fucking knock your block off too. The man in the suit whimpers. Please. No. I don't know who these people are. They've got the wrong guy. Please. Help. Call the cops! You shut the fuck up! Or we'll fucking smash your head with this brick here, you see? Mitch realizes that he has made a, a very large mistake trying to get in the middle of this, but he's kind of in too deep now, and he's like, you know, I think you're kind of just gonna draw more attention to yourself from the police if you act like this. If you've you know, if you think you're uh, being watched, wouldn't it be better to uh, not do this in public, maybe? Go ahead, make for me, Mitch, a manipulation persuasion check. As Valerie tries to leave, <laughs> she's yeah, like, that was Mitch, just... Mitchell, uh, leave the nice oh, businessmen yeah. to conduct their business. <laughs> Two successes. 
You know who'd say that, says the gang member. A fucking copper. You sound like a copper. You're a fucking copper, shouts the gang member, instantly losing it. The other two gang members reach for their pockets, pulling out switchblades, <laughs> unearthing the blades. You're all fucking coppers, see? We knew it. He was the bait, wasn't he? Now you're gonna take us in while we ain't going out without a fucking fight. <laughs> they grit their teeth and their bloodshot eyes bulge in their eye sockets. Uh, Valerie rolls her eyes and reaches for her guns. <laughs> and Bouncer? Uh, Bouncer's just gonna like take a step past Mitch, just like get a little in front of him, just like. Uh, come on, boys. Anyone, anyone with eyes can see that you're carrying drugs on you. Now, just if you're done beating him up, you just be on your way, and then we can just leave it at that. Hmm. Well, you can make a charisma plus intimidate or performance. If you're choosing intimidate, you can turn your daunt on if you want. Yeah, well, I will go intimidate, so. That's uh, right. Uh, it's four successes. Four successes. I'm going to make the gang member roll. He's going to roll his composure and resolve. Four successes. Ugh. He hesitates for just a moment, and one of the two gang members, to his credit, drops his dice. He s drops his knife. He steps back, pressing up against the wall, raises his hands, and he says, Ah, oh, maybe... Maybe we shouldn't fuck with them, Reg. Maybe we shouldn't. You shut the fuck up. Get out of here. You fucking get that knife out or you'll be next. Uh, uh. The gang member looks between you and his friends and the man on the floor. And then he just throws his hands up in the air and he shouts, Fuck! And he turns around and bolts down the alleyway, nearly tripping over this businessman. Fuck! He runs screaming out of the alleyway as the other two gang members lunge at you with their knives. It ain't this, copper! Mitch is going to try to use um, imitation on both of them. Dementation, nice. Ooh. Very good indeed. Uh, two vows checks, I succeeded on both of them. Yeah, two rouse checks. All right. So, go ahead, make me we'll do it one per do it one at a time. Manipulation plus dominate, please. Okay. Uh, two successes on one of them and one success on the other one. All right. I'm going to roll for Right, so one of them, he got five successes, but the other one got zero successes. What's Mitch? What's Mitch's dementation like? Is he just, you know, start babbling about Mandela effects and timelines and 
Yeah, I, I think that he would like get very serious for a second and be like, look, I, I don't think you all understand the decision you're making here. What you do right now will affect you for the rest of your life. You'll go to jail if, you know, like the whole course of your life will be changed by this one moment when you could have just walked away. So please just walk away. <laughs> so the one guy got a success. He, he just stops holding the knife in his hand. He, he nods. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it's just like, it's like that fucking butterfly movie. What do I do? And he just pauses, standing in front of you as he takes two points of superficial willpower damage, his hands trembling, and he struggles to maintain hold of the knife. But the other guy, he just keeps coming. Shut up with your fucking egghead, egghead talk, Poindexter! He shouts as he rushes towards Mitch, brandishing the knife. Val, you have your gun out. I presume you're firing. Um, no, unless they actually stab anyone. At the moment, they seem to be a little bit incapacitated. Yeah, well, one of them's going towards Mitch. The other one's sort of confused because of the dementation. Uh, okay. But... Uh, yeah, Val's going to take sh shots at the legs of the guy attacking yeah. Mitch. Shoot to incapacitate. And Bouncer, what are you doing? Like, shoot to annoy. <laughs> yeah, shoot to annoy. Uh, yeah, the one guy's still coming. Just try and bump him on the... Bonk him on the head and knock him out. <laughs> Alright, I want Bouncer to make me a strength brawl check, and I would like Val to make a dex firearms check. Uh, it's a total failure from Val. That's total a zero. Failure from zero Val, five. That's Very nice. You're in an alleyway, shooting, get close range, and you don't want to hit the businessman on the floor. That would just be too messy. So you call your shots a little bit, and that results in you firing a second too late. Bang! Bang! And the bullets slam into the asphalt. Bouncer, how'd you go? Get this syntax to work. Okay, that brings up to four successes. Four successes to his three successes. He's about to plunge the knife into Mitch's torso when you rush forwards, kicking out, slamming your foot into his stomach. He winces <coughs> as you step forwards and smam, deliver a punch to the side of his head. He stumbles backwards, nearly dropping the knife, and turns his attention to you. You'll... you'll pay for that, bitch! He shouts, spitting blood on the floor as he charges at you. Meanwhile, the other one, still demented, standing there, muttering to himself, If I attack him now, then the butterfly will spread its wings, and then and, and, and my great-grandchild <laughs> will be born with a stomach ulcer, and then... and then... Ah! Fuck it! He shouts, and he brandishes his knife and charges at Val. Mitch, what are you doing? <sighs> you can try to dementate him again if you want. 
You know, I'm not sure while he's charging that I want to to make this mental breakdown worse. Um, <laughs> I guess Mitch is gonna try to. Mitch does have guns, so he will try to fire. Val, seeing him charging towards you, what do you do? Val. Hmm. I'm, I'm trying to think of exactly what she would do, because she's not very athletic. She doesn't have the best dexterity. She's not the best shot. She doesn't like confrontation. He's coming at her with a knife. Uh, she's just going to try and, like, sidestep him as best as possible. See if she can just put him off balance in some way. It's just she knows yeah. she's not going to win with a hands-on confrontation. If you can't touch her, then at least maybe that'll go okay. Make him a, make a death athletics check for me. Meanwhile, Bouncer, one's charging at you. What are you going to do? Uh... Yeah, I thought it was all to go. She's going to try and... As the one that's going for her is coming at her, she's going to try and grab him and basically use the momentum to throw him at the guy charging Val. <laughs> Oh, nice! <laughs> Thank you. I was no. going to say Val rolled a one. It's not going to. It's not going to go swap so well. Yeah. Out Val. So strength brawl for you, please, bouncer and Mitch Wits firearms. Wits uh, firearms. One success. One success. <laughs> okay. So and bouncer, how many successes did you get? Uh, critical six. Critical six. Okay, so your target <laughs> got two. So as he charges towards you, you just deftly step around him, and while his back still turned to you, punch him, punch him in his lower back. He gasps as he drops the knife, and then you grab hold of him, and you're about to shove him towards his friend. But in the time it took for you to step out of the way and get the drop on him. The one in front of Val manages to get to her. You hear the bang of Mitch's gun go off as the bullet slams into the wall. Val gasps and at the last second attempts to dodge out of the way, but the gang member charges. Ah! Ah! Screaming as he holds the knife out in front of him and he just runs straight into her. Rolling a critical seven. Oh. Sticking the knife directly into Val's heart. It doesn't beat. So thankfully, it doesn't kill her outright. <laughs> if she was a human, she'd be in a lot of trouble. But that's still... Is, that's is still this staked? No, thankfully, because it's just a knife. But that is six Ooh. points of superficial damage. Oh, she's incapacitated. So, how she many? Has five. So, five and one aggravated. Oof. It's at this moment, as he's with his hands on the knife, he glares at Valley's mouth twisting again. Horrified pleasure. He's about to twist the knife when suddenly. 
Bouncer lets out a great roar and tosses the other guy and like a great bowling ball, he flies into him, knocking them both off their feet and leaving the knife dangling, jutting out of Val's torso, blood beginning to pool under her dress. The two gang members lie on the ground. One of them... One of them completely out cold from Bouncer's attack. The other one, the one who stuck his knife into Val, just looking up at her, his mouth dropping open in shock. How? How, how the fuck? How the fuck are you even? Mitch? On, on the ground, Valerie just kind of groans and mumbles. He goes, Mitchell, I swear to God. Mitch, this is your chance. Would you like to try to dementate him? Give him that final push he needs to get out of here? Yeah, I think so. Make me a rouse check. That that one fails, so Mitch is a little bit hungrier. So what do you got? Hunger then, three now? Yeah. Hunger three. Yeah, alright. Go ahead to make me a manipulation plus dominate. Two successes. Hmm, he gets zero successes. So oh Mitch, Mitch just steps forwards, peers into the eyes of the cowering man, and whispers, This is the dark timeline, don't you see? He nods. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As he takes two points of superficial willpower damage, and he is impaired. He crawls away, taking one last look over his shoulder at Val, the knife, the hilt of the switchblade still sticking out of her chest. And then he opens his mouth and lets out a scream of utter terror. As he sprints down the alleyway and out of sight. You're alone again, the businessman at your feet, still whimpering. And that sense of being watched remains. So, you passed the test, comes a voice from above. Whirling on the spot, Val still clutching her chest, breathing deeply. <gasps> As her beast groans in anger, calls upon her to find that guy, chase him down, and get vengeance, you peer up, and on the roof of the business before you, stands a dark-skinned man with long flowing black hair. His eyes shine yellow in the moonlight, and he smiles, baring his fangs. As the moon moves out from behind a cloud and illuminates his bodybuilder's physique. Val, Mitch, 
you recognize him immediately. It's Lucas Moritz. The Bruja Sheriff. And that's where we'll leave it for this session. <laughs>